Welcome back. Welcome back. We haven't recorded in God knows how long, and I think I forgot how to. It's been a month, and I think we said that every single time. But uh, <laughs> that's fair. Welcome back. Don't don't worry about this. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm opening the cookies. Hi, everyone. So, hello. Hello. Um, quick. Gosh, I don't even know how I want to phrase this. Housekeeping updates. Um, quick. I would say an update. I think. Yeah. So we've been gone for all of February. Yeah. It's, yeah. It will. So at the time of recording this, it is still February. But on y'all's end, it is March 1st. Oh, at this let me point. Look at my, I, can, I can tell you. It's exactly. March 1st. It's March 1st. We're recording this two weeks before that because. we're trying to get ahead we really are look okay so here's the thing it's a hundred percent my fault like i'll take the full blame i'll I'll take the full blame for this okay i have so much going on right now the month kicked off with a hearty death in the family (laughs) did you have to phrase it like that (laughs) like it's my trauma and then that's fair work got crazy busy and then uh psychos on the tail end of the last episode uh you were actually just starting your migraine um which actually hospitalized psychos uh for a day or so and we had that whole situation and then like a week later uh not even like a week or two yeah a week or two later you got sick and you just got over it coming off of that so Mm -hmm. if i make it through march without anything going wrong (laughs) i'll be so happy (laughs) anyway speaking of march i'm not gonna tell you what day it is but march is my birth month where two things are gonna happen um first thing that's gonna go past march and like for the rest of the duration of this podcast um is that we are going from two episodes a month to an episode every week Mm-hmm. So we are now doing weekly episodes. Are you eating right now? No. Why did I believe you? <laughs> you say, why, why did I believe you? No, why do, why do I not believe you? I don't know. Listen to my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, we are going to once a week, which is super exciting. Um, not going to be as in-depth. As I would personally prefer our stories to be, but I'm not trying to be Wikipedia. Jokes on you. You think I'm... <laughs> it's just going to be so much more. Um, it's going to be more stories, but I think it, this will be a real lesson in, in what we have to What is and isn't important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the speaking of uh, March, this is also a very chaotic time for me because I am registering for classes and and returning to school after the winter the frigid winter of no school so um it's i'm busy as hell so we're hoping that this will give us a little a little leg up edge whatever the whichever word that either or either or is fine um also, if you haven't noticed yet, it might sound a little different conversationally because we are no longer recording in the same room. Which is sad, and it's the end of the... We still um, live together. We still live together. <laughs> still no, it's just different rooms. 
Um, no, it's the end of the um, yeah, with those randomly yelling things in the background, like <laughs> the whole "what the fuck" from like the very first or second episode, I believe. Maybe if I yell that will really never. loudly, you'll hear it because you're currently actually. I think you're physically right above me right now. Kinky. Anyway, well, <laughs> I don't know about that, <laughs> but it'll also mean that you'll have less abrupt cutoffs mid sentence because. Unfortunately, a lot of the cutoffs that you guys were probably hearing is because I do have a uh, disorder that causes me to clear my throat a lot, make sounds a lot. You probably have picked up on it already. So we had to do a lot of really stiff editing to cut those out so you didn't have to deal with those. But now um, I can just mute myself whenever I decide to be disabled. (laughs) (laughs) You don't decide anything, you dipshit. (laughs) God damn it. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. But also, during the month of March, because once again, it's my birthday month, I am doing, both of us are doing really long cases. Mm -hmm. So all of them, both of our stories are going to be like split up into five parts. You guys are not ready for this. You're really not. At all. Are you eating again? (laughs) Downsides of this. I can't visually see visually see i cannot see mythos whenever they're shoving shit in their face i will give you points if you can figure out what color of food i'm eating if i'm eating food well you're eating probably eating one of the cookies so i'm gonna go with white (laughs) with the white icing wait seriously yeah i was eating a white cookie i'm halfway through it oh my god well to be fair there's only like white or green so it was a 50 50 shot yeah fair enough okay so god we didn't decide (laughs) who's going first because both of our things are just i'm really sorry if anyone decided that like this is the month you're gonna start listening and you're just like oh my god like every other episode up until this point is like super happy and peppy everything's like half of it it's happy baby it's not this month i'm so sorry for anyone like you send us your therapist's bill this is a joke Send us your therapist bill and we'll write a little note being like, we're so sorry. Please, like, discard this debt. <laughs> because this Dude, my is... therapist this week is going to have... <laughs> no, not this week. My therapist, after uh, we finish recording the series, is going to have, like, a blast. I don't know who... Should I go first since it's my birthday month? If you want to go first, you can go first, baby. Okay, babe. I have bells. So... Uh, I have patches. Here. I'm gonna... Here, give me... Come here. Come here. My microphone is currently stacked up on a giant pile of board games. Come here. Come say hi. Excellent. Come say hi. He doesn't want to. Come say hi. Oh, <laughs> He rubbed his little head against it. Oh, that's so cute. I gotta pull up my notes because I wasn't ready. <laughs> I've been ready. Um, just for anyone who's curious, I've been working on these notes. Uh, I started this research back in November, and I worked on these. I think we got up, we came home at like what, like three, and I've been working on these notes since then. It's now nine o'clock at night. Okay, I have my notes pulled up. I am ready to rock and roll. I am ready to be sad. Okay, I don't so- know what you're talking about today, by the way. I have no idea yeah. what what psychos has has gifted us. So. So, originally when we were starting this podcast, I was originally only going to cover cults. 
like point blank period only cult shit mm-hmm. because that, that did was... not happen <laughs> yeah no that's not how that's not how this podcast evolved um however you can take the cults no you can't i was gonna do some sort of like fun joke you can take the cults out of me but you can't take me out of the cults (laughs) yeah and it just it didn't sound right you can take me out of the cult but you can't take the cult out of me there you go or something like that (laughs) anyway so today i'm going to be talking to you about the narco satanicos cult narco satanicos yes so that's a choice it's actually a misnomer, and we'll get into it. What the fuck does a misnomer mean? Misnomer means a name given to something that doesn't actually match up with what it is. Okay. 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 I, that makes sense, given the word it is. Okay. Yeah. So, um, very important thing to note, this case will span across five episodes. Mm-hmm. First episode is more on, in this series, is going to be more, um, how do I put this? Ed- not educational, but more informative than the others. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be a whole lot of dark stuff. There is going to be some dark stuff, but overall, it's not going to be as dark as the rest of the series is going to be. Okay. Whenever you hear the words, nar- like the name of the cult, Narco Satanicos, what do you think? Like what pops into your brain? When I hear Narco Satanicos, mm-hmm. it sounds like the word narcotics and Satan. So I'm going to mm-hmm. say Satan the drug dealer. <laughs> You're actually not that far off. Am I really not? <laughs> no. Narco Satanicos was the name given to this cult um, by, I do believe, the U.S. Pre- like, U.S. press. Um, Just, like, as an entity. As an entity. entity. Um, so they got their name because they believed that what um, the cult was worshipping was a form of Satanism, and they were in the drug dealing business, mm-hmm. like, drug trafficking business. Love that. Narcos for the narcotics side of things because they were um, dealing with, uh, mar- this is around the time where marijuana was still very illegal. It's, I mean, still, it's still very illegal. More illegal. This was the um, late 80s, early 90s. Okay. So, but you're also dealing with the cocaine um, aspect of it too. Actually, one of the dudes I'm about to talk about, um, well, he'll, we meet him Next episode. He was actually uh, fictionalized on the television show Narcos. Never heard of that show in my life. It's like a really popular show about like Pablo Escobar and all of that. Oh, that's yeah, fun. So, shit runs deep. Mm-hmm. So what the um, cult actually um, practiced was not Satanism, though. Not in the slightest. Okay. The reason why people started calling it Satanism was because around this time... Actually, what do you think was happening in the U.S. around the 80s and 90s? Satanic panic? Exactly. Hey, look at me go. So smart. So what these religions actually were, what because it was a combination of two, because they can be practiced together or separate, and the cult was practicing them together. Mm-hmm. So what these religions actually were, that they were practicing, was Santeria and Palo Mayombe. Now, in case you did not know... I don't, given, thank you. I meant, like, given all of the names and stuff, this is going to be... this. Most of this case takes place in Mexico. Okay. Like, there are some part... Like, sometimes where we hop across the border, but for the most part, we are in Mexico. So there's going to be a lot of Spanish words that my um, pronunciation won't be the best at, but I am trying. Palo Mayombe and Santoria are two... Um, 
religions that actually have very similar basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I go any further, most of my research for this these episodes and this part of this episode was actually a book called Buried Secrets by Edward Humes. Now, this case, because it took place in Mexico, most of the sources are, how do I put this, um, in Spanish? <laughs> yeah, shocker. Shocker. And unfortunately, I have been kind of turned off uh, by like the translation apps mm-hmm. from my last couple episodes that I went to like different like we did in different countries mm-hmm. because I know the grammar and I know the information can be wrong and bad. So in order to avoid that, I struck with more stuck struck wow, stuck with more um English based sources. Mm-hmm. Um this book was actually like the only book that I could find that was written about the subject and from what Isn't I Isn't that see, the book that you like bought on like Goodwill's website or something? Yes. That's the book that you, like, bid for? I didn't bid for it. I bought it off of the Goodwill thing, yeah. You know what's crazy? Can I interject for two seconds to talk yeah, about this? So my, um, our manager, your, like, half manager, he, he does, like, like, he, like, buys stuff on, like, Goodwill's website, and that's how I found out that Goodwill had a website that they put, like, their nice bougie stuff on. I didn't know that. Isn't that freaking weird? Rude. How come they're not sharing that? I didn't, I didn't know there was a thing until you mentioned and then you mentioned it. And it was weird because you mentioned it to me like the same week that he had mentioned that like that was a thing. Because there's this book that he has that I really want. And it's like it's the one that I was thinking about getting on your your e-reader or whatever. And I really wanted it. And it was like not fucking able to be found. and I didn't want to order it. And he was like, oh, just see if it's on like Goodwill's website. And I was like, Goodwill has a website. I didn't know that that thrift store was bougie enough to have, like, they do, like, auctions and shit, which I think is actually the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Another side thing, calling out my coworker who pulled me aside three days in a row to ask me what the name of this podcast was and then finally actually typed it into Spotify and saved it in front of me because she kept forgetting it. I said I was going to call you on the podcast. You thought I wouldn't do it. I'm doing it right now. Uh, I see you. (laughs) Mr. Crowley, (laughs) I see you. (laughs) Oh, dear. Anyway. That's all. Yeah, no. Also, this book is sort of um, buried secrets going back to Mm -hmm, my mm -hmm, source mm -hmm. is the source from what I've noticed for the cult side of things. This um, cult is actually known more for, I don't want to say how it ended, but rather- Aren't most cults. Unfortunately. I'll I'll do a Jim Jones People's Temple deep dive one day and that will take me several- months to do or you know we could like not do that or maybe or it can be a like patreon a like, yeah it <laughs> can be it podcast. can it can be a patreon exclusive podcast series where it's really just us sitting there for three hours in silence while you rant about jim jones for you know however long and then people look and it's that one lady who's posted like four days worth of content about her ex-husband on TikTok. oh my god i need to watch that <laughs> I need to watch that. I've heard it's fucking crazy. I need to watch it. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. So this cult is actually known for the way it ended. Not not ended, but the rather its last murder. So its last oh. victim. Yes, we'll get into it. The, its last victim was a young man, young American university student who was actually, I think, going to school to be a doctor. His name is Mark Kilroy. And the thing that pisses me off about this case, there are things that piss me off about a lot of things. Like, in a lot of the cases I do. But mm-hmm. the thing that pisses me off about this 
is that he was the only American to go missing and turn up murdered. Everybody else who went missing and was later found dead at this um, area was a um, Mexican native. Well, Mm -hmm. not they weren't like native in the terms that they were indigenous to the area, but rather they were just citizens of Mexico. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm sure that their kind of deaths were swept under the rug. Yeah, no, like people, like we'll get into it later, but to compare the two, Mark Kilroy goes missing and almost immediately there is a nationwide manhunt on both sides of the border for this kid. Wow, I'm so shocked. And I'm not saying that because like, like obviously it's good that this kid you know was looked into but um other people are also human beings and also deserve to have that level of respect and then another young man who was about the same age if not a little younger goes missing Mm -hmm. he's not heard from for several days his mother goes to the police station every single day to try to file a missing persons report Mm -hmm. and instead she's told constantly that oh your son just probably skipped over the border it happens all the time don't worry about it the fuck it does and it is constant and even though the police constantly told her like oh he's probably dead whenever they went to go like find the and exhume the bodies from the colt's ranch she was there every single day trying to find her son oh but no this little gringo walks across the border gets his ass kidnapped and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose it's national treasure but person exactly i've actually never <laughs> we need to watch it. I know anyway, Nicolas Cage is in it, right? That's all you need to know. Yeah, I know that. I know that, and I know there's a secret compartment in a desk. Yep, and they steal the <laughs> Declaration of Independence. Okay, so that's one of the things that really pisses me off about this case. Mm-hmm. So going back to the start of my notes, because I kind of went off on a tangent to try to like explain what we were really getting ourselves kind of into. Mm-hmm. So the cult was run by. A man named, oh goodness, help me. You got this, I believe in you. Mine's not going to be any better. Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo. What are we calling him? We're calling him Adolfo. Adolfo? Mm -hmm. Okay. No comments on his name, just... What was it? Wait, (laughs) one more time. Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo. No, that's a a pretty sound name to me. You're not going to make any Adolf Hitler references? I'm disappointed in you, actually. Where is where is the Hitler reference? Adolf? Adolfo? Oh, I didn't even think about that because it's pronounced differently. Huh. They literally just added an O at the end. Well, look, I'm not looking at it right in front of me. You think I'm going to notice that shit? What do you want me to say? Oh, I'm, it runs in the family. What are you waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just curious because some people like pick up on it immediately and other people like I, If I'm not looking at it directly in front of me, I'm not going to notice it. Okay. So, so, but I here here is your Hitler reference. Wow, I'm so surprised he goes on to murder people. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Is that is is it everything you hoped it wasn't more? Don't make me make you sleep alone tonight. The fuck I will continue. <laughs> <laughs> so, they practiced uh Centuria and Palamayombe and while the religious Yeah, I know what that simula- is. I'm about to go over it. <laughs> Don't let me speak. Did you call let me a me speak almost. <laughs> so, <sighs> so while the religions do have similarities and or- originate originate in very much the same way, Adolf Adolfo. Are... <laughs> <I'm gonna... 
don't you finish, please. Go ahead. I'm not even two bullet points in. <laughs> I'm not even two bullet points into my notes. Okay. God. That's great. That's great. So, um, they do have simulator sims. Moving on. So while they do have similarities and they both originated in very much the same way, they are kind of violently different in other ways. Both religions did originate in Africa mm-hmm. and both were brought to Cuba and Haiti by the slaves during the height of like the Atlantic slave trade. Okay. Which is not <clears throat> something that's actively talked about in schools much anymore from what I've noticed. It's not great. Yeah. We barely learned about it, but it, it was, was mentioned, a- I think. It was more along the lines of, this happened. oh, these are the things that were traded. And it would, like listed a bunch of things. And at the very, very bottom of the list in tiny, teeny, tiny letters was slaves. So, yeah. Not great. Um, however, Santeria takes root from a tribe known as the Yoruba, which originates in Nigeria. The Yoruba um, worshipped a pantheon of Orishas, each of which had a specialty. They weren't gods, more so spirits, if that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Um, deities kind of seems a bit more apt, at least from my understanding, um, because gods, based off what I've seen of these, gods feels more Eurocentric than anything else. Yeah, that makes sense. So there are hundreds and thousands of these deities. To, so if we want to go through all of them, that will take a podcast in and of itself. Separately. Yeah, I think we're good. I mean, you could do it. But yeah, I could. <laughs> um, but I'm going to point out the ones that um, Edward Humes felt the need to point out because some of them do have significance within the story in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Now, first one was Elegua, which is E L E G G U A, and he is a trickster spirit often associated with roads. And Wait, how do you spell it? E L E G G U A, Elegua, but he was. The one that most drug traffickers uh, worshipped and made offerings to. At least the ones who did practice Santeria and Palomayombe. Next is Alofi. O-L-O-F-I. He is the father of all of the Orishas as far as, far as I know. And not necessarily king of them all, but still very important. Next is Chongo. C-H-A-N-G-O. And a warrior Orisha who is associated with thunder, lightning, and fire. Mm-hmm. And then finally is Oshun, O-S-H-U-N, and she is a deity associated with love, marriage, and money. So most rituals involving the Orishas do need the ritual sacrifice of an associated animal, since most, if not all, Orishas are associated with an animal, like from mm-hmm. like rams to chickens to goats and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the blood would be offered to the deity, and the corpses of the animals would be sprinkled with either salt or honey and laid in front of the deity's image. In Mm -hmm. addition, meals would also be prepared and offered. Now, depending on the offering and the Orisha, believers can find themselves blessed in the matters of love, money, and legal trouble. Most ardent believers believe that these blessings might also include invincibility, invisibility, and the ability to tell the future. There's a lot of abilities here. However, many uh, priests of Santeria perform these rituals in addition to cleansing rituals called limpias, which are very important to this case. Now, in both Santeria and Palomayombe, the more powerful spell you want to cast, the more blood or bodily fluids are necessary. That makes sense. 
so um, the author Humes, I am drawing a lot from his book because he's kind of the source. He actually gives us an example of two rituals, which I'm going to go over. Mm-hmm. But these are both made in honor of the um, Orisha Ocean, the one associated with like love, marriage and money. Mm-hmm. Now, the first one, it involves a young woman wishing to encourage her boyfriend to propose marriage. It requires mm-hmm. the caster to light a candle to Ocean with a bowl of honey and five hooks as mm-hmm. many deities often do have a specific number attached to each one. Mm-hmm. Ocean's, yeah, Ocean's just happens to be five. Now, in the bottom of the bowl, there must be a picture of her lover. The honey is like a payment to Ocean, and the hooks will ensnare the caster's, like, caster's boyfriend's loves, encouraging this proposal. Mm-hmm. Now, on the more intense side of things, a more powerful spell will have the caster take the root of the lily plant, hollow it out, and fill it with oils and turn it into a lamp. However, the wick of this new lamp must be soaked in the sperm of her lover. Okay. Once the lamp is burning, the caster's lover will be compelled to do whatever the caster wishes because bodily fluids tied his spirit to the spell. The closest thing I can think of to compare this to is the idea that if you have sex with somebody who's on their period, it binds you to that person forever. Mm-hmm. Like that's the closest thing I can like think of. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. I feel like there's probably like a lot of crossovers when it comes to how certain like uh, things are handled, and I feel like that's one of those crossovers that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so you kind of see how from like the beginning, if you need something done more efficiently or more permanently, I think I understand bodily fluids are introduced. Yeah, I think I think I'm getting. I think, I think I'm understanding a little bit where this might end up. However, most spells do require a little bit of bloodshed. Even the ones most people consider to be quote-unquote benevolent. We'll get into this really like as we go on. But the idea that there is light and dark magic, good and bad, it's a really tricky situation. Mm-hmm. Because as I, I'll bring it up later, but neither of these religions are good or bad. They're just kind of there. They like exist. they just are. It's, yeah, to me, it's the same, almost the same as Christianity, where you can use Christianity for good or bad. The religion itself isn't necessarily bad mm-hmm. or good. It just, just kind depends. of, like, is. It depends on the person yeah, and who's makes practicing. Sense. Now, makes sense. Um, there is nothing wrong with, like, using, like, the blood of animals or, like, even a little bit of blood from yourself. And it's not supposed to be seen as an evil act however as with most things there's a subsection that does take it further so instead of seeing the sacrifice as an animal of like the freeing of the spirit to please the orisha they see it as the take the act of taking the life is what pleases the orisha Mm -hmm. so like instead of setting the spirit free and the act of setting the spirit free is the thing that gives like power and grace to the orisha it's the fact that you took the life mm-hmm. and as we'll see with this case doesn't always have to be an animal mm. now santeria also literally means the path of the saints and from its origins when spanish slaves and conquistadors came to the yoruba tribe and tried to force christianity on the tribe the yoruba merely adapted to more of a secretive way of doing things so while the spaniards believed that they had converted what actually had happened was that the Yoru- yoruba continued to practice their own religion under the guise of worshipping the Catholic saints. For example, going back to Oshun, she became Our Lady of Charity, but only in representations of the deity, not a name. Mm -hmm. By doing this, the Yoruba tribe 
kept their customs and practices and flew under the radar of the people who tore them away from their family and and lands and enslaved them in Cuba. Yeah, that I feel like that happens a lot. It's really fascinating. <laughs> Sorry, I could go no. over things about this. <laughs> so, um, I'm gonna keep going with my notes because if I don't shut up, we're gonna be here all day. <laughs> just keep going. Just keep rolling. You got this. So the Bantu people from the African Congo region also treated their deities and practices in much the same way. However, even though they were also brought to Cuba, the the similarities were actually very, very few. While most consider Santeria to be light and life magic, Mayombe is much the opposite. They gain their power from death and decay. While the pantheon within Santeria can be cruel, it is all for a good reason. The Mayombe pantheon appears to be cruel just for the sake of cruelty. Mm -hmm. A very important thing to note after this next point, um, but like in general... The man who wrote this book is a white man. Amazing. Point blank, period. So going into this, you have to kind of be more aware of the fact that he is a white man and he is writing about religions of people who were enslaved and had to hide their religions in order for their culture and these religions to survive. Remind me what the origin of these people is. Like where? Culture-wise. Um, both of them came from the African continent. Okay. Um, Santeria originated in from a tribe in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mayombe uh, came from the African Congo. Okay. And this so, somehow ends up being tied into a Mexican cult? Because, or a cult that lives in Mexico? Yes, because the religions both come from those regions, but they also make their way to Cuba and Haiti. Go, oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I was yeah. like, where's the bridge? I lost the bridge for a second. No, it's fine. So those peoples were brought to Cuba and Haiti, and then their religions kept going. Okay. So he is white, and I he is known for also being a true crime and nonfiction writer. So his biases aren't that prevalent, at least from what I can see in the book. But it's always important to note that he's going to see these as more black and white, just because as a white man mm-hmm. living in America, the... Christianity as a basis is always going to be there. And it looks like he's kind of overcome that, but it's not my place to say so. Christianity really just has to fuck up everyone's view of everyone else's culture, doesn't it? It really does. That's Um, the theme. We found the theme, (laughs) boys. Santeria seems to be more about taking care of the spirit, while Mayombe is about the destruction of life in the spirit itself. Mm -hmm. The world of the Mayombe religion revolves around the Nganga, spelled n-g-a-n-g-a and this is a cauldron that acts as a centerpiece in every ritual and spell Mm -hmm. now the nganga is a black cauldron that contains the spirit of a dead soul captured by the practitioner and forced into almost this spiritual slavery of sorts just like a dead soul yes um certain thing um as we'll see later on some people require more fresher souls okay like they have to be dead for no less for no more than a year. Oh, okay. Some even fresher than that, if you really want to be specific. But it's eh, it gets a little dicey at that point. Mm-hmm. Now the spirit is within the nganga. It controls that universe within the cauldron, but the practitioner controls the spirit. Mm-hmm. In addition to the spirit, each nganga contains a multitude of objects that are specific to each practitioner and their path through the Mayombe faith, from blood to coins to spices and candles and kind of more. The Nganga will also contain 28 sticks. 
Now, the most important of any nganga is the human skull and brain. This oh. does have to come from somebody who died recently, and it cannot be replaced. Is it the same person whose, like, spirit yes. is in the cauldron? It has to be the same person? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. But this cannot be replaced because it forms the base of the nganga and the practitioner's power. Now, as more rituals are completed and more spells are cast, all the waste and carcasses from those actions have to be fed to the nganga. This will rot, but the more it rots, the better. The more it rots, decays, smells, the more powerful the nganga and, by extension, the practitioner will be. Now, as the religion migrated to America from Cuba and Africa, the name shifted to Palo Mayombe. Palo for the 28 sticks and Mayombe from the region of the origin. Or mm -hmm. origin of the religion. Yeah. Now, as both of these religions grew and evolved, many began to practice both in unison. Santeria for the lighter magic, while Palo Mayombe could be used for the darker magic. Like now, a balance. Yeah. Okay. However, many Paleros, which is practitioners, and I'll be trying to use the proper terminology from here on out. Mm -hmm. So instead of practitioners, it's Paleros. Mm -hmm. They refuse to allow ngangas or any measure of Palo Mayombe within living areas. This is due to the idea that Palo Mayombe is deadly to anyone who has not been properly initiated into it, almost with like a radioactive mentality about it. So they wouldn't allow the practice of like death magic around the living people. Yes, because it's... That makes sense. That makes a lot uh, of sense, actually. Yeah, he all, in the book, they also mentioned that they believe that living things and the household will slowly die like plants and animals and stuff that are yeah. in the household because the dead are so being dead is so powerful being alive and able to wield the dead is even more powerful having the dead so close to the living is like a like a taboo thing in a lot of places so that that doesn't actually surprise me at all yeah so he also mentions in the book that many paleros are adamant that pregnant women and children must be kept from palomayombe there are some who willingly expose their children and themselves to Palomayombe, as we'll see with Adolfo's mother. Mmm, drama. But um, he also does refer to the Nganga as like a nuclear reactor of evil, which is shared by a lot of people. Does that mean that this is the Chernobyl of the religion? Kind of. Nice. Like, if you really want to call it that. So very important thing to note. I will give a disclaimer after this. Mm -hmm. um, there are two branches of Palomayombe based on what you have placed inside the Nganga once the ritual is completed. Okay. So the lighter practitioners leave out the dead cat aspect because uh -huh. there's a dead cat that has to be put in there. And Oops. instead they replace it with a crucifix and holy water. Okay. Now these practitioners call themselves Paleros Cristianos. The quote unquote darker side of Palomayombe is known as Paleros Judios. To Ooh. clarify, no, 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 it's not from uh, Judas. It's not from Judas. Damn it. It actually referenced <laughs> Judaism. Oh, what? But not in the anti-Semitic way. So it's not a reflection of Judaism itself, but it's yeah. more based on the fact that Jews are not baptized in holy water, which is the cure-all for curses in the Afro-Caribbean folklore after Christianity had kind of like forced its way into the religions. Oh. So it's not out of any like anti-Semitic like things that i could see wait it only comments on the fact that these people are not wait using... wait wait okay i have a question then and this yeah. goes back to the fact that i know nothing about christianity are baptisms supposed to happen in holy water yeah essentially like all of them mm -hmm. really and holy i thought water it was is... just water um, they do it in lakes and shit 
Oh, you but I guess it might be specific. Blessed. It's rivers, right? It's like yeah, specific it's, or like running water. It's like rivers. Um, they can do them in pools, but the f- thing is, like, in order to make the water holy, at least in my um case, um, these people were um not these people. These Actually, the areas, thing that they did in that uh the La Llorona movie where they just like throw salt in it. Essentially, and, like, what they do is the like water. Just, um conduct a blessing and bless the water. Okay. Yeah. But I um, don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah. The more I discover, the more I don't understand Christianity. It's wild. So it's not anti-Semitic. It's okay. just touching it's like on... different religious views. Mm-hmm. They just it's... happen to be Jewish. Yeah. Okay. Um, if there was another religion that was sort of based in Christianity that didn't, they would also be stinky. <laughs> Basically. Basically, things are wild, man. However, Santeria and Palamayombe are not inherently good or evil. Mm-hmm. There is a certain le- level of amorality, I guess, that mm-hmm. each religion possesses that allows for both to be used for both good and bad religions. Mm-hmm. Many people actually utilize both religious practices and non-religious practices for everyday ailments and concerns. Mm-hmm. What can like be faith used healing. to exactly, okay. but they'll go to. Oh gosh, there was a good example in the book. Like somebody will go to a faith healer, but then will also go to a regular doctor at the same time. Oh, interesting. So they'll use both back and forth. Okay. It's very important to note that these religions are not those that can be blamed on the education levels of the practitioners. Mm -hmm. Believers actually comes from all walks of life. However, many believe that if you do not come from the same background as the religions themselves, then you should not be practicing. For this podcast, I've tried to look for very public information in regards to both religions is because I'm not really sure if they're actually open or not. I don't know if they're closed or not. There's no. It might be one of those things where like the information is available, but it won't work for you unless you're from this area. Because I feel like there's I feel like there's a difference between a closed religion and open religion, obviously. And then like a religion that is willing to be known, but not willing to be practiced by everyone. It's like you can see what we do, but I mean, it's stupid if you try to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the reason why I also bring this up is that the people who eventually do get indoctrinated into the cult actually don't come from the same background as Adolfo and his family. So for them... they It like wouldn't work for them then. Yeah. Okay, okay. If the religion is as closed like that as we think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Because of the way that both Santeria and Palomayombe began, secrecy is very much prevalent. Christians and Christian-aligned practicing people are very much distrusted. In fact, we'll see just how Christians are perceived by Adolfo and his followers later on. Ooh, drama. It gets wild. So with this background, kind of complete, um, I'll be throwing in more tidbits as we go on and Mm -hmm. sort of like reminders as we go. Mm -hmm. We'll move on to the main player, Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo. He was born in Miami on November 1st, 1962, to a 15-year-old woman named Delia Aurora Gonzalez de Valle. Mm-hmm. She had fled Cuba during the Cuban Revolution. Mm-hmm. So the Cuban Revolution background is when um, Fidel Castro took power. I don't know who Fidel Castro is. He was, he's, I don't know if he's alive or dead, but he's I essentially he's a d- Cuban I feel like he's dead. dictator. Yeah, I knew I knew that he was a dictator. I don't know if we like him or I don't think we like him if he's a dictator. No, but he okay. was like, I'm not saying that he was the one to bring communism to Cuba, but it definitely got worse once he was in power. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Man, yeah. communism is a bitch. Delia would go on to have three more children by, like, two or so more fathers. But she would dote on Adolfo the most. And in return, he would be a fervent mama's boy until the day he died. And the fun thing about this research I got, I have mm-hmm. fucking quotes. You're not going to oh. get those yet, but I have quotes. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, when um, Constanzo was st- six months old, um, so Adolfo was six months old, Delia took him to see a Haitian palero. According to journals and recountings of this day by Adolfo himself, he was silent as the palero looked him over, and apparently this palero saw something within Adolfo because he announced that he would become Adolfo's padrino, which is godfather, offering to train him in the ways of Santeria and Palomayombe. Now, Delia at this time was already a priestess of Santeria, and was thrilled by this. Mm-hmm. She accepted, and then at this point in time was when Adolfo's fate was seemingly sealed. Now, Adolfo would later admit that his early memory was that of a chicken's death rattle as his mother mm. slit its throat and offered it to the Orishas. Okay, that's a choice. Adolfo's padrino was one of the few practitioners who practiced the darkest parts of Santeria and Palomayombe. He taught Adolfo everything from the history of the religions to how to practice them. He was taught myths and the lessons to be learned from them. But due to the fact that his padrino was seemingly consumed by the darkest parts of the religions, Adolfo grew up with a more fascination and talent for the more gruesome and horrific spells. Side note here. I have no idea where to put this. I didn't know where to put this. So it's going here. But Adolfo's um, padrino sexually abused Constanzo from a very young age. Mm-hmm. And it would kind of go on to fuck with Adolfo, but not in that... Not... I won't, don't want to say in a bad way, but also in a, in a really weird way. Um, he began to sort of conflate rituals and, like, ritualistic sacrifice with sex. It got him off. Oh, okay. Because of how he was taught. Okay, you know... <laughs> God damn it. So while training, Constanzo learned that until he was fully initiated, he would not be allowed to look within his padrino's nganga because doing so would kill him. He okay. was blindfolded whenever his padrino led him into the shed where the nganga was being stored. Oh, like literally like a nuclear reactor. Yeah. Oh, shit. I thought you meant that as a metaphor. No, they literally don't want you looking at it. Yeah, no. Like, oh, shit. Padrino, the Padrino could look into it, but because Adolfo had not been fully initiated into the religion yet, mm-hmm. because there's like a ritual that goes along with it, he was not allowed to look at it at all. But Adolfo could not wait to have his own, and Padrino's words would only serve to sort of stoke that fire. He told him, quote, you will have the greatest nganga of all, end quote. The Padrino worked in the drug trade where Adolfo would later end up. But his job was to conduct rituals to ensure the safety of the drug runs and to prevent the police from catching on. However, he forbade Adolfo from ever partaking in the drugs as taking any illicit substances would result in death when the spirits entered your body during rituals when they found like a less than pure host. Okay. So, very important thing to note about Palomayombe and Santoria. Spirits, whenever you're conducting a ritual, spirits are supposed to sort of possess you. Yeah. It's a very, I hate to say this because it's, it seems almost disrespectful to say, but it feels like a very theatrical religion. Yeah. Like, it, like, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but you'll see what I mean as we go on. He also taught 
um, Adolfo that non-believers were nothing less than Shine animals. Jeez. But it didn't matter what the non-believers did as long as the believers remained pure. And in Uh doing so, he kind of imparted Adolfo this like thing where they would occasionally drink, but they never did drugs. Okay. Never did drugs, never allowed his followers to do drugs, none of it. They could run it. It's kind of a good thing, right? Yeah. At least they're not doing drugs. (laughs) Bare minimum, no drugs. (laughs) Dare. Dare not to do drugs. Dare they dared they they dared to not do drugs and you know what I'm proud of them I am too. I don't know if I'm proud of them for anything else they did but I'm proud of them for not doing drugs yeah so as Adolfo grew up he found that smells that were normally associated that with childhood were kind of unusual to him so when you wake up in the morning and like I'm just gonna do like a stereotypical like thing you wake up in the morning you smell coffee breakfast is going you can hear outside somebody's probably like freshly cut their grass so you could smell that stuff like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely he did not like those those actually kind of actually made him a little bit nauseous until like his adulthood because he grew up surrounded by like death and decay okay he was used to the smell of like, rotting things because delia was she was a hoarder and it was disgusting me too but he didn't receive any toys or candy as rewards for good behavior instead he was given animals to sacrifice okay so kill the fuck out (laughs) but this would have suited him more because oh my god sweetie you got an a on your test we killed the neighborhood cat here you go we we (laughs) caught the neighborhood cat here you go oh my god thanks mom okay walks into school the next day my mommy gave me a cat to sacrifice your mom did what (laughs) which is funny because he actually hated school he could he was incredibly intelligent he could have gone on and continued to go in school but it bored him aren't most cult leaders like crazy intelligent yeah like the way we were raised and uh like normal compared to how he was raised i think our childhoods would have bored him because by this point he had already been like well i wasn't sacrificing cats so i think we would have turned out a lot different if we were sacrificing cats (laughs) i'd probably have more money probably (laughs) honestly given what we learned later on now at his mother's urging, he actually didn't learn how to fully incorporate himself into normal society because she believed, she like leaned into the idea that all of the non-believers, like Christians and Christian adjacent people or anybody who just did not practice their religions were animals. Okay. Less than animals. Okay. Choice. So if you really want to like indoctrinate yourself with that, you'd be getting yourself dirty essentially. Cool. Love that. He didn't actually physically fight people because he was bullied. I mean, weird kid sacrificing shit. He's going to get bullied. He didn't physically fight. Instead, he cast curses with the help of his mother and his padrino. Okay. Now, Delia, his mom, was super fond of leaving dead and rotting animals on the doorsteps of the neighbors who wronged her in some way, shape, or form. Okay. Okay. And the worst thing you could possibly do was not insult her, not insult her weight, none of that. Worst thing you could possibly do to her was insult her son facts that like unleashed a level of hell but it didn't matter about her other kids but if you Mm. said something bad about Adolfo, shit hit the fan you're fucked you're getting cursed my guy like i said before she was a hoarder but instead of like hoarding shit like mail and random fun things you find at the thrift store 
she hoarded death, essentially. Okay. He grew up surrounded by corpses and mess. Now, later on in his life, like up until the day he died, he was a clean freak. He wore all white. He like kept his houses because he had multiple. He kept his houses like spotless, all except for the rooms that would contain the Nganga. He would kind of compartmentalize things. And you could kind of see, like peek into his brain whenever you look, went into his house. Mm-hmm. Everything was spotless. Everything was nice, all except for that one room where he conducted his rituals and ha- like held his like little Nganga. That was the room that was allowed to get messy and gross and disgusting because it had to. Yeah. For about 10 years, the first 10 years, actually, of um, Adolfo's life, the family would actually live in Puerto Rico before they moved back to Miami. Not much is known about this time in Puerto Rico, but once they were back in Miami, Delia became an instant menace, menace? menace to her neighbors. To <laughs> she was. She literally was. Um, she would begin a lifelong habit of not, not opening doors to anybody. Rude. From home to home. Once people came knocking for rent and then eventually to evict her, and it just didn't, she refused to open up. Refused. No, thank you. Goodbye. That's a choice. One story that he brings up in the book is this, like, there's police banging on the door, and Delia only opened it up once they threatened to kick it down. And they saw her children, not Adolfo, because Adolfo at this time was actually living in Mexico City, but they saw her children, like, disgusting disgusting and wearing like awful clothes and like there was like death and like feces everywhere around the room and like she wasn't paying rent she was actually squatting at this location mm-hmm. and she um was wearing like really expensive furs and like had really expensive shit mm-hmm. the police officer looked at her and was like why do you live like this if you don't have to because clearly you can afford better clearly you can afford to pay your rent because of all like the expensive shit that were gifts from adolfo Mm-hmm. And all Delia did was stare at her. She got charged for being a neglectful parent, was in jail for six months, and then but her children were never taken away from her. Of course. Of course not. I cannot express to you how little she actually cared about her other children. It, it was like they didn't even exist to her. Mm-hmm. She only cared about Adolfo. No. <sighs> now, um, during this time, she would marry a kind man who would pass from cancer, and it sucks, but it seems like the this stepfather was the only stepfather that was kind to Adolfo. Mm-hmm. The next two she would marry and then later divorce. Now, Adolfo's younger brother would state that this was because these men were beating Adolfo. And apparently only Delia was allowed to punish her son in that way. Oh, of course. Adolfo was Delia's precious baby boy. And Adolfo would always call her mommy until the day he died. M-O-M-M-Y. Yeah. So, but he would often, so, like, whenever he talked to his mom on the phone, like, he could be, like, suave and cool, whatever, with anybody else. But the second his mom's on the phone, he literally, God, the last podcast did a great impression of this, but his he would pitch his own voice up. He would try to sound like a baby. Okay, that's a choice. He, he would literally go, Mommy. Okay. I love you. Ew. Stuff like that. It was disgust. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. I think it's weird. Anyway. No, I agree with you. That's weird. No. When Adolfo was 21 years old, he was finally initiated into Palomayombe by his padrino. Mm-hmm. Adolfo was blindfolded and forced to listen as his padrino sharpened the knife that would feature very prominently in this ritual. But before this ritual could be completed, Adolfo had to sleep for seven days underneath the 
Seba tree, which is spelled C-E-I-B-A. And this is a sacred tree. Mm-hmm. And then he had to bathe with like the necessary herbs. I'm not going into like which herbs and stuff they are, mostly because I don't know, but also I shouldn't know. I'm not I'm not giving this information out. This isn't a to-do list. <laughs> this is not my responsibility. <laughs> and then finally he was dressed in white robes that he had to bury for three weeks in the freshly dug grave. Mm-hmm. He then said his thanks and gave the offerings to Kadi and Pembe. Now, Kadi and Pembe was Adolfo's personal spirit guide. And for the lack of a better comparison, essentially the devil. Okay. Yeah, it gets, it's weird. Constanzo's padrino then asked him a question that he had to answer before the ritual could begin. Quote, is this what you desire? For after the day, there is no going back. Once you accept Candy and Pembe, once you are reado, God is no more for you. Your soul will die. And then Adolfo said with no hesitation, my soul is dead. I have no God. Mm-hmm. Then the padrino began to chant as he brushed Constanzo with the branches from the Seba tree, summoning the spirits needed. He then ran a live chicken all over Adolfo's body, drawing out every impurity that had, may have tainted the young man. The chicken's throat was then slit, and the blood was fed to the Nganga to give power to the ritual, and then essentially to Adolfo. The padrino then purified the blade by lining gunpowder on the blade and igniting and igniting it. This is something that comes up a lot in certain rituals. Like, they will, like, heap gunpowder on it and then light it. It's weird. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm not going to say it's weird, but it's bizarre because of how wrong this thing could go. Like, that, the element of danger, I think, is, to me, what makes this so weird. It's, like, you're doing these things that could potentially get you hurt, could potentially get other people hurt, but maybe over the course of the rituals, they just don't care. Maybe that's just my self-preservation talking. Maybe. Once the blade had been cleansed, the Padrino used this knife to begin carving into Adolfo's skin. These marks that were being carved into his skin are known as firma. These would be Adolfo's personal spiritual signature. Once these were completed, the blindfold was removed and Adolfo's Padrino gave him the um, Kisingue, which is a Polaris scepter. This one was uh, made out of a tibia and was like polished. Mm-hmm. The rayado... And Palo was complete. Adolfo was now a palero, a practitioner of Palo Mayombe. Growing up the way he did, Constanzo was doomed to essentially be an outsider. He was never really interested in school or work in general. He was more than intelligent enough to go to school and work at whatever he really wanted to do, but it wasn't fascinating enough. It wasn't stimulating enough. Mm Mm-hmm. He attempted to shoplift a number of times, something that Delia was really proficient at. In fact, like she dragged one of her daughters along with her all the time. But he wasn't that good at it, and it didn't really work out how he was hoping. Mm-hmm. In addition, he had no desire for a heterosexual relationship because of his relationship with his mother. So he stuck to homosexual relationships where he didn't have to worry about having to deal with another woman interfering with attention from his mother. Okay. He literally was like, no woman is ever going to be good enough for my mom. So I'm just not going to deal with my mom. Like, not deal with my mom. I'm not just not going to deal with women. It's fine. However, though, I also want to point out, he was being sexually abused mm-hmm. by a much older man for a good majority of his life. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that influenced it or not. It could have. That's just me speculating because there's not. He left behind so many journals and things, but we don't know how much of them is true or not. So in mid-1984, uh, Adolfo would leave his mother and Padrino to, in Miami to fully full-time live in Mexico City. So up to this point, he had been visiting back and forth and will 
we're about to jump back in time to where he kind of like started mm-hmm. visiting Mexico City. Mm-hmm. But for a time he lived in Miami, but was visiting Mexico City going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Now, in mid-1984, he would leave them and move there full time. But Centuria and Palomayombe were not m- popular in Mexico at the time. Nadolfo felt like he could benefit from introducing these religions to Mexico. Mm-hmm. We're going to switch gears a little bit. Okay. We're going to talk about somebody new for a second. Ooh, new people. Now, Omar Francisco Orea Ochoa was a young man who, in the spring of 1983, left his ho- hometown of Puebla to attend the National University in Mexico City with plans to study journalism. Mm-hmm. He ended up dropping out very quickly. Because when he moved to Mexico City, he fell in love with La Zona Rosa, which is the red light district, essentially. Okay. Due to its mix of, like, occultism and sexuality. Omar himself was a budding gay man who flourished in La Zona Rosa, and his fascination with the occult led him to many people during this time. You see, this fascination began when Omar was 15, when an old fortune teller read his palm and told Omar that he would meet a powerful man who would alter his life and determine his destiny. Mm-hmm. So she warned him to be aware and to be ready. So Omar's attraction to La Zona Rosa was, like, understandable. Mm-hmm. He was on the lookout, essentially. He got this when he was 15. He's now, like, 18. And he's like, I, I gotta go. I, I need to know. Mm-hmm. I does this have to know. I do have to know. So... He was searching for this dude that the fortune teller told him about. The search would lead him to a man named Jorge Montes, mm-hmm. a former gay model in his 50s. He was known as Dr. Hindu by the people who came to him for tarot readings because of the Indian decor that he was very fond of. Okay. Jorge was a bit problematic, but that's okay. Amazing. Nobody in the story is a good person. Yeah, I, I've just accepted this at this point. <laughs> yeah. While Jorge was not the man Omar was supposed to find, he was grateful for a friend in the new city. He referred to himself as Jorge's nephew and moved in with him. They lived in an apartment on Calle Londres, which is London Street, mm-hmm. and Colonia Juarez, which is the sort of neighborhood. Mm-hmm. People assumed that they were lovers, but nobody said anything because Jorge was a respectable member of the community and everybody loved his seven dogs. <laughs> he's Jorge gay, had but we don't want to mention it because he's got nice dogs. Yeah, essentially. Well, no, 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 no. They knew he was gay. They just didn't want to say anything that... Because Omar is currently posing as this dude's nephew right now. And we like your dogs. Yeah. Amazing. So a few months later, in April of 1983, Jorge mentioned that there was a newcomer in La Zona Rosa. Apparently this newcomer had... Newcomer? Newcomer. Newcomer. Newcomer had quite a reputation for being incredibly accurate. But additionally, this newcomer had something special. Omar immediately wanted to go find this person. Mm Mm-hmm. They found him sitting at a table near the street. There were two beautiful American women with him flirting and trying to get his attention. But this person which looked bored. There's mm-hmm. also another dude, but he was just kind of standing back and looking brooding. During the reading for the Americans, because at this point, he's like pulling, this dude is pulling tarot. He was throwing these cowrie shells. He's doing all sorts of shit. Mm-hmm. So during this reading for the Americans, the newcomer looks up and made direct eye contact with Omar. And Omar would swear up and down that there was recognition there. He thought that this man knew exactly who he was and why he was there. Mm-hmm. Now, after the reading, this newcomer dismissed the women. And obviously, the women are like, oh, fine. Because for the time period, Adolfo is not that unattractive. Mm-hmm. Especially since he's, like, Cuban. He has that, like, flair. And it's just it's, it's shit like that. They're kind of disappointed. Yeah. He gestured for Omar to come closer because he wanted to do a reading for him. 
he introduced himself as Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo. He did not shake Omar's hand because he just didn't touch people in general, mm-hmm. like hands wise. Like he never shook people's hands. He rarely, if ever, gave hugs. He was kind of affectionate with the people that he knew, but he never like touched people's hands. It was weird. Fair enough. But he had Omar sit in front of him so he could deal the cards. Now, Omar would be, like, looking around, and he notices this dude standing beside Adolfo, and he felt like this man was jealous of <gasps> Omar. Ooh, drama. For, like, some reason. And Omar did not know. Omar didn't know what this dude's deal was. I love it. And Adolfo introduced this man as Martin Quintana Rodriguez, his bodyguard and right-hand man. Now, during the reading, Adolfo would reveal, like, small things about Omar's family, things that were secret, and what made Adolfo really pop, and this is what made him kind of popular in La Zonorosa and beyond, he didn't speak in the way that sounded like fortune cookie papers. Like, he, it wasn't, like, generic shit. He knew specifics, mm-hmm. and he would, like, speak in specifics. He looked really bored, and he almost sounded bored. Like, while he was just, like, spilling these little things. And then he got fascinated. He started turning over cards. And he said, quote, You're about to fulfill a prophecy from your youth. An old woman told you to be ready for this moment. She told you to beware. But there is nothing to be wary of now. Do you not feel that I am right? This entire time, Omar swears again that he feels like the world is slowing down. He feels like the start of almost obsession with Adolfo. He's literally falling in love with Adolfo as they speak. And Martin? Not thrilled. <laughs> he's not pleased. Amazing. Omar like blurts out that he's been waiting for Adolfo. And Adolfo just smiles and says he knows. Mm-hmm. Which is wild. It's creepy. Now, once the reading is over, they talk more. Martin starts dropping insults like they're at a roast battle. <gasps> and... <laughs> Like, directed at Omar. And Adolfo, mm-hmm. like, shuts that shit down. He tells the group about how he met Martin in that very area, like, only, like, a couple weeks ago. Our Martin had just ended a really bad relationship and was looking for guidance, and Adolfo offered his services. He told Omar that he was a Santero priest looking for a fresh start in Mexico City. He was visiting from Miami, but eventually he planned to find a more permanent place to settle down. Omar was completely fascinated by the idea of Santoria because he knew very little and it played into his like occultist fascination perfectly, honestly. Jorge, on the other hand, wasn't so sure right away, but he cared deeply for Omar as a friend and decided to accept Adolfo's offer of teaching the two everything he knew. Mm-hmm. As time went on and Adolfo visited more, he was able to correctly identify more and more about Omar, things that he had not shared with Adolfo previously. And this drew Omar in closer. At the same time, Adolfo doted on Omar, like spoiling him with like dates and gifts. And they would spend hours just walking around, like holding hands, talking about the occult. Mm-hmm. Now, eventually Omar would beg Adolfo to reveal how he knew what he did. Adolfo would refuse with a smile and a promise of later. He learned this from his own Purino and he would repeat this process repeatedly. Draw in people with the white magic, then slowly introduce darker and darker spells until they were fully immersed in the black magic. Mm-hmm. Only a few days after their first meeting, Adolfo had seduced Omar. From that night on, he was extremely honest in that Martin was his lover as well. However, the difference between the two was that Omar would be Adolfo's woman, or Martin would be Adolfo's man. Okay. Interesting. 
So it didn't matter that both Martina and Omar wanted this monogamous relationship with Omar. Or not with Omar, with Adolfo. Yeah. Omar was willing to overlook his own feelings of jealousy just because he wanted to be with Adolfo no matter the context. It did not matter. They, dude, Martina and Omar fight like cats and dogs. It is wild. I, you know, something about that doesn't surprise me at all. Which is hilarious because they're like, this dude is playing them both, but then they're mad at each other? I don't know, man. It gets wild. Things get crazy, man. Very early on, there's a thread of darkness in the relationship. The threat that something would go wrong was always there if Omar didn't do what Adolfo wanted. Mm -hmm. Or just actually, no, commands. And the sad thing is, many of these commands weren't outright commands at the very beginning, which made the eggshell feeling worse. Because it's like, be phrasing certain things like questions or options. But Omar would feel so stuck, like from almost from the get-go. And he didn't know how to like any of it. Mm -hmm. If Omar wanted to know how Adolfo did what he did, like with the spells and stuff, he had to obey. And he did. He did obey. Even when it felt like Adolfo didn't want him to. Like Adolfo was like wanting him not to obey what he wanted. Because mm-hmm. you know how like you have people who are like do everything I say and then you do everything you're saying and then he get, then the other dude gets pissed off because you, you didn't break the rule and he were just this person really just wanted an excuse to yell at you. Yeah, yeah, been there. That's how. It, <laughs> unfortunately, but, but when Adolfo's wrath was directed at Omar, mm-hmm. it was nasty. Like he took, but Omar took it all. Like, he took all of the like ugly, brutal words, but Adolfo also occasionally hit him, and Omar took it what the fuck because the the promise of learning what adolfo did and how he did it was just too much it was just too enticing yeah yeah it kept him there and then on top of that he's getting spoiled constantly he did not come from a very wealthy family he's getting spoiled he's walking around with this dude who is doing very well Mm -hmm. so it's there but also omar couldn't help feel jealous when he heard adolfo on the phone with his mom adolfo smoke to his mom with a gentleness that he that omar very rarely got he wanted to be the one that melted the like icy core that adolfo seemed to have oh god the i can fix him trope really yes it's sad but he just wanted affection and this dude was going to be the man who changed his life and determined his destiny this is the man he's been looking for for like three years now you can't just think, and I feel bad for him. But Omar would later go on to say that he would do anything for Adolfo because, quote, I feared him and I loved him. End of quote. <sighs> okay. Like I mentioned before, mid-1984, Adolfo moved to Mexico City permanently. And by the end of the year, Martin and Omar both moved in with him. Each had their own room, and Adolfo would actually alternate between the two rooms depending on his taste for that night. Okay. So, what's wild is... The families did not like this. The families were not happy. Shocker. Adolfo ended up threatening both families into silence while uh, Omar and Martin did nothing. And the families let it slide because they were hoping that keeping that communication open would eventually bring their sons home. Like, it got to the point where Omar's sisters tried to claim to the police that Adolfo had corrupted a minor. Mm -hmm. And Martin's family, like, at first, was like, all in on Adolfo. They thought that he was the greatest thing. He didn't. They didn't realize that he had like corrupted his their child. Mm-hmm. But Martin's brother might have left something slip, and Adolfo threatened him. 
he fully threatened to like use him in like a ritual and this was before they started doing like human rituals but like everybody just like kept quiet because they wanted to like leave the thing open because Martine could come home at any point in time so could Omar. Martine actually had a girlfriend at the time when he moved in with Adolfo a young woman named Mara. Now Mara was a bruja and a what? She was bruja a witch okay gotcha gotcha but she wasn't like more she wasn't like she didn't practice santoria or palomayombe she was just a witch just a witch but she wanted to learn more about adolfo and how he did what he did and how his powers worked so adolfo actually never told her but he began to sleep with her even though at this point in time he is sleeping with martin he's sleeping with omar and he has a very strong preference for men so now he's sleeping with martin's girlfriend as well it's fine. It's fine. Now, some drama. More? Once the tr- God, it never ends. Jesus Christ. So once the trio moved in together, uh-huh. Martine and Omar's rivalry, like rivalry, it exploded. Jesus. Like, for example, Martine had received a card from Adolfo that stated, you're my life. I cannot live without you. Oh. And he used this to taunt Omar. And Omar which just got so jealous and it was like, he almost went insane from jealousy until Adolfo gave him the same exact card, essentially. Men. God. Now, it never, this rivalry never ended. It continued to the end of the cult, but eventually they just kind of settled into a routine of sorts. Like, Omar would be the stay-at-home wife, and Martine and Adolfo would be their working class. Not working class, but, like, working men. Mm-hmm. However, with every cycle of abuse, once they were all moved in, the mask kind of slipped. Adolfo would force Martine into drag, ordering the two to act as essentially slaves. While Omar never objected, Martine would fight back, like verbally. And these would be with explosive fights that usually ended with Adolfo beating the absolute shit out of Martine. Mm-hmm. And Martine would not physically fight back, but he could have. He was stronger. He was bigger. He was more intimidating than adolfo was but he never raised a hand back and then omar would be hiding under the bed to avoid all of this so inevitably this would end with martin packing up his bags and going home adolfo would show up outside the house in his car and threaten to kill himself martin or both of them if they didn't come home Mm -hmm. he would say shit like you are my wife and you should be with me the whole time he would be crying and banging on the steering wheel like and honking the horn he was literally going insane in the car just to get them home and these moments would convince martin that adolfo really did love him he was just a little fucking batshit but he loved him and he would return only for the cycle to repeat every few months now this is where i end part one seriously you're gonna leave me with the the consistent abusive drama and then be like that's it because whenever we come back if you want a sneak peek to pull you in for part two whenever we come back we are actually going over more of adolfo's career in la zona rosa mm-hmm. and then ending part two with their very first human sacrifice oh god i forgot about the human sacrifice i was so caught up in the gay drama i'll be so for real the drama only gets worse man oh great how did I, you like part one? I hated it. Thank you so much. It's, I, I know that this turns into a cult and I can already see like the abusive relationship forming. 
So I'm not surprised that this turns into a cult. I'm just disappointed that it couldn't have just been like fun gay drama. It has to turn into like abuse. And then I a cult somehow forms in the middle of all of this. And it would be nice if that like didn't happen. But, you know, I guess we just don't get good things in life, do we? Unfortunately, we don't. You know what? It's it's fine. It's fine. It's It's totally... Unfortunately, though... I will give you like a little sneak peek to one of the later episodes, probably more the last episode, but that card that mm-hmm. Martine got, mm-hmm. there is a reason why Martine did not live past the final day and Omar did. Oh? Omar, the quotes that we have from Omar come from his own testimony and from police interrogations. <gasps> we have nothing of Martine's aside from what other people remember him saying. Oh, God. Man, can't have shit in Detroit. No, you can't, unfortunately. You're not prepared for how this ends, I'm not way, happy with how this is going to end. I just will never know joy, will I? Unfortunately not. But that's <sighs> the end of part one. Okay. You know what? I... I thought once maybe I'd be happy, and then I remembered that we had this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Now I just live. I just live in the drama of it all. No, because here's the thing: I had this knowledge stored up in my brain like a month. (laughs) Not for a month. I like I knew about this cult. I knew like almost not almost everything about it. I knew a good bit about it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I needed like the book to like fully like flesh out what I did and didn't know yeah but i've been dealing with like this information for living so in my long head for like years and you're just like i have to tell you mythos i have to tell you and i'm just like i okay and then you tell and me this and is i'm what? just like fuck no no and you know what's fucking crazy though crazy like, it, what's crazy <laughs> sorry no it's just so why like this man claims that cl- clams clams claims that he's gay clams clams claims that he's gay Mm -hmm. but he ends up taking like a few more lovers and they're almost all women okay but he phrases but the way he does it it's like the ends justify the means almost it's like you um like episode three we'll meet um the woman who would later um later become madrina the godmother of the cult Mm-hmm. And he literally told her, I do not love you. There is nothing you can do that will ever make me love you. What the heck? But she still stayed. What the fuck is wrong with these people? It's the power. Yeah, clearly. Adolfo had a power about him that very few people knew how to explain. Nobody really knows how to explain it. But the ones who did try, I see it as somebody who is so magnetic, so like alluring that you just... There's nothing you can do. Yeah. He has the secrets. He knows the secrets. He knows what works and what doesn't. And the only way to get those secrets is to stay. And wouldn't you want to know how to make things work? How to make things go great in your life? How to make tens of thousands of dollars in a single sitting? Mm-hmm. He had the answers. And unfortunately, that seems like something that a lot of people fall for even now. Like It is. You know. I I can tell you the secret on how to make money. I can do this and that for you. And 
people just eat that shit up you know but yeah but you know how whenever you go to like psychics and tarot readers they're using broad statements yeah. they're using like the broadest of things to ch- because they don't know they're just throwing shit at the wall that sticks but this guy was That's, like he knew details yeah he knew shit that he should not have known is there an explanation for that later on or is that just like a thing with him um there's kind of an explanation for it later on but the explanation for it like he ends up de- like getting an informant who works with the police he gets two actually but these two men wouldn't come around in the early days of his time in mexico city so the early days of his time in mexico city he is sort of he's doing it alone so he doesn't have the resources yet mm-hmm. after a certain point he does have the resources personally i uh, i am of the opinion that jorge the dude who befriended omar even though they both kind of joined up around the same time it's of my opinion that he let something slip mm-hmm. and started like sharing information because it's not the first time because jorge later does this later on like he sort of becomes this like informant for dolfo mm-hmm. and i think we kind of see that happening now but i could be wrong because no there's no real set explanation for how he knows the things that he does at this point in time mm-hmm and even the explanation we get later does not cover this part of the, this part of time. Is that is this? Thanks. Oh, like you're not about to rip my heart out my chest. Hey, either. hey, hey, not yet. I do that like a couple episodes in, but not yet. <laughs> I mean, uh, this is the most um how do I put this? lighthearted. Mm-hmm. of the series makes sense on my end yeah so okay well let's get into the drama that is my story but i'm gonna i'm so excited i'm gonna be snacking because i normally never snack and i want to snack you ready i'm about to bust open my cadbury mini eggs i keep hearing shit i'm assuming it's just the cats playing but i keep hearing shit well you're also in the basement the basement's fucking haunted don't say that while i'm down here i'll cry well i'm right here I know, but you can't come downstairs. I'll cry. My massive story. I, okay, so I wrestled a lot with this actually, deciding if I wanted to do this story this month or not. Because I felt like no matter how much research I did, I was like severely unprepared for like tackling this big of a story. However, I physically don't think that I could ever have the right amount of time to go in depth with this fucking, there's so much. There's literally so much. And I've been researching this so much that there's actually a lot of this that I haven't even written down. It's just like stored in my brain because this has just been my life since November. So for the month of March, if someone did, if y'all didn't look at the title and don't know what we're doing, I am covering the Romanov family, specifically the last reigning emperor, Nicholas the Third. Nicholas II? Third? The Thirst. The Thirst. <laughs> Nicholas, Nicholas, Nicholas II the Second of Russia. His, his father was Alexander the Third, which is why I got confused. I'm covering Nicholas II, uh, his wife, Alexandra Ferejovna, and their four daughters and their son and their eventual execution. So I'm going to be breaking this up. I haven't officially decided how I'm going to do this yet, and but by the time that this is out, you'll know. But this episode is going to be covering Alexandra, who I'm going to be calling Alec, and Nicholas from their births pretty much up until 
the kind of when their kids were born. I'm going to be throwing in some details later on. I'm not going to be going too in-depth on the kids because I am doing their own episodes for it. So next episode is going to be Olga and Tatiana. And then after that, I'm going to be doing Maria and Alexi. And then I'm going to be doing Anastasia separate because I'm going to go it hard on this fucking imposter that like, oh my God. Anyway. And then if I can avoid it. You know what it, you should also do? Hmm. During the Anastasia episode. <sighs> I don't want to talk no. about the movie. You can talk about the movie. You should watch the musical. Talk about the movie. Oh my god. If I can talk if I can if I can avoid talking about Rasputin, I'm going to. But if I have to, I will. Just know that I don't want to. Um, I don't like this guy. He makes me very uncomfortable. I was gonna do this like really intense thing where I like talked about how they were found and all that stuff together, but I am not doing that because I'm gonna the the last episode. I'm going to be going in depth on their execution from their kidnapping up through their execution and then finally to uh how their bodies were discovered twice. I'm also. I'm sorry. You said twice. Yeah, their bodies were discovered twice. So before I get too far into this, so I am going to be pulling from a lot of different resources when it comes to this uh, month's episodes, but the two books that I really heavily relied on for my research on top of some like episodes and of um, YouTube videos and some TV shows and whatnot, but the two main books that I heavily used for references for this episode in particular is and really all these episodes the Romanovs which Psychos very kindly bought me by Simon Montefiore I'm probably pronouncing that wrong and that covers the entirety of the Romanovs from the initial I think it was Michael the first who took over uh don't quote me on that the other book that I'm also referencing is The Romanov Sisters by Helen. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to mispronounce your last name. Rappaport? Rappaport? I don't know. She wrote The Romanov Sisters. She also wrote, I think her specialty is just like that family because she also wrote After the Romanovs. And she also wrote The Race to Save the Romanovs and The Last Days of the Romanovs. So. She is kind of like the it person for the Romanov family. So read a lot of her books or I read her book. I'm going to probably read more of them before I finish my research. But those two really heavily, if for anyone who wants to read these separately from listening to this, just want to let you know, I recommend reading Romanov Sisters first and then going back and reading the Romanov book because it's going to give you a really clear idea of what's going on behind the scenes. The Romanov sisters fills in a lot with Alex and her daughters and skims over a lot of the politics that's going on with Nicholas. And the Romanov book does a lot of the politics and skims over a lot of what's going on with Alex and the girls. So, and Alexi. So that is my recommendation. If you're going to do your own research, then, and like really want all the details that I'm not going to give you because these books together combined are 40 hours of listening time. That is my recommendation for reading those. But anyway, so. So I know what I'm going to be checking out later <laughs> after this series. You can just borrow my copies of the book where I've written in them. Oh, please. I love borrowing copies of people's like annotated. I need to take like, better notes. I really so need nice. sticky notes because I write a shit ton. The margins, not enough space for me. 
We're going to start with Alexandra. So Alexandra was born June 16th, 1872 to Alice of the United Kingdom and Louis, or probably Louis, the fourth, if I can read Roman numerals, Grand Duke of Hesse and by Rhine. I don't know what that means. It just is what it is. She was born as Princess Alex Victoria Helen Louise Beatrix of Hesse and by Rhine. She was the fourth daughter of the couple and she was the sixth child to be born. So she had two older brothers and I think one younger sister and I think she had one she, she had a sister younger than her and I think she was the second youngest. Don't quote me on that though. So her grandmother is uh Queen Victoria of the United Kingdom. So that's kind of that that's kind of that vibe. She was kind of the golden child of Queen Victoria. She was like the one that she doted on the most. And it was remarked that she was the most handsomest baby she had ever saw. Um, Queen Victoria said this about Alex when she was born. She was given the name Sunny because she was such a bright and happy child. The four daughters of Alice and Louis IV were considered the flowers of Queen Victoria's flock of granddaughters. So they were kind of like the it girls of that like court which is really ironic considering where they're from but they were pretty much all celebrated for their beauty their intelligence their charm but alex was considered to be the most beautiful out of all of the girls and she was described as having blonde hair and bright blue eyes she's a very very happy kid that doesn't last long oh no so hesse which is where she's from is a territory in germany it is not it's not impressive <laughs> so hesse was poor pretty much powerless as far as like territories went in germany and the capital of hesse was said to be a place of no importance and the dullest town in germany it's actually also described at <laughs> do you end up as the dullest town in germany no literally it was described <laughs> as the place you go through to get to somewhere else <laughs> Oh, no. That 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 was the capital of Hesse. So, no, 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 you know how people like fly from like the east coast to the west coast, the west coast to the east coast, the middle of the country. Just... Middle of the country is Hesse. Sorry, sorry, and just like that, we just lost. I'm so most. sorry, Westerners. <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> so, Alex's mother, Alice. She had originally wanted to be a nurse, but she ended up being married off to the Grand Duke. And so she would instead spend a lot of her time at hospitals, taking care of her kids, being really hands on when they were like sick. She also insisted on breastfeeding, which was considered very gross at the time. But she was a very hands on mother. She spent a lot of time at hospitals volunteering as a nurse, which Alex also does a lot later on. It's a big part of the kids' grow, uh, like childhood growing up. So would consistently take her kids outside, letting them play in nature. So they would also get really small allowances that they could spend, but not a lot, because their household was actually very, very poor. They were not ballin' by any means, because they're like the dullest part of Germany. So, yay. <laughs> Alex was raised in a very humble kind of lifestyle and Victorian values of duty, modesty, hygiene, and sobriety were at the center of their upbringing. Alice taught her kids to be self-sufficient and did not spoil them at all. 
And she made them do normal cleaning tasks like cleaning their own rooms and making their beds. So this is not very common for grand duchesses. They tend to have people who do it for them. Probably not very good for the idea of like, you know, she's supposed to be a refined lady. She's like playing outside all the time and all this stuff, but whatever. So the same year that Alex was born. So again, this is 1872. The same year that Alex is born, her older brother, Freddy, began to show symptoms of hemophilia. Now, this illness, I think, was orig- it originated in Queen Victoria, and it spread to her kids. So it kind of made all of the kids in the family have, like, the carrier traits of hemophilia in the women, and then all of the men also had hemophilia. So mm. Ferdy started to show symptoms of hem- hemophilia, And ironically enough, uh, Alice's brother, Leopold, also suffered from hemophilia as well. His name's what? Leopold. I'm sorry. Why is that funny? Because it sounds so silly, but it's... Leopold suffered from hemophilia, you ass. I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. In May of the next year, Alex's older brother would actually die from internal bleeding literally a year after he showed signs of hemophilia because he fell from a 20-foot window. Is it the oh I just I just to keep you telling me about this dude. Yeah, just a reminder, uh, at this time, I think Freddie's like three. Like he's a baby. So I'm assuming he just fell out the, like literally fell out the window. But yeah, he died of internal bleeding. Which I yeah. didn't realize how severe hemophilia was until I, like, looked into this. Like, I understand mm-hmm. it's bad, but I was just like, okay. But, like, I didn't process that, like, bruises were also bleeding internally. And I was like, oh, interesting. I, like, I remember you telling me about this kid, and I still think somebody pushed him out the window. I, yeah, I'm fully convinced someone pushed him out the window. After Freddie died, Alice, uh, Alex's mother, the reason, so Alice, Alex is named after Alice. Um, when she is christened, which is something I bring up soon, but um, when she's christened, which I discovered is when you're baptized in the Christian church, she was given she was given a, a Christian name. That full name at the beginning that was her Christian name, but she was named Alex A L I X because uh, people in Germany could not pronounce Alice's name properly, so they named her Alexandra, shortened to Alex with an I-X because it'd be easier for the German language to pronounce. But when spoken, it sounds like Alice. It sounds like her mother's name. So that's why their names are so similar. Mm -hmm. So after Freddie died, Alice became really withdrawn from grief, did not spend a lot of time with her kids. Unfortunately, the older siblings were so much older than Alex that her mother started to withdraw her sisters were old enough that they weren't really close to Alex just kind of like the their older siblings kind of a situation and also her older brother or brothers was preparing to take over for their father so they were constantly in tutoring and classes so she didn't really have anyone super close to her age except for her younger sister Marie who's called May so they became really really close playmates they were like best friends however Five years later, in November of 1878, an epidemic of diphtheria bred through Europe. So I think most of the children fell ill except for a couple of uh, one of the siblings was in a different uh, country at the time. But for those who don't know, because I didn't know this, diphtheria is a bacterial infection of the throat. Typically, it is diagnosed by the presence of bacteria colonies at the top of the throat and mouth. It's like white at the back of the throat. The death rate is pretty low now. 
but it depends on the strand of bacteria that you get because that'll dictate the amount of exotoxins that it releases. So exotoxins is a toxin that the bacteria releases that basically latches onto your cells and like kills them. It goes in and disrupts like the synthesizing of DNA or like mRNA and stuff like that for like um, like cell reproduction, I think. Depending on which strand you get is depending on which exotoxins you get. It would depend on how severe it is. So right now it's not that bad, but back then they actually didn't know what diphtheria was, I think, until the next year. A year later, it was actually f- officially categorized. Oh, yikes. Yeah. The first person to fall ill was uh, Victoria, who was the oldest. And then Alex got sick. And then the rest of the siblings got sick, excluding Ella which is one of Alex's older sisters who was away in the United Kingdom at the time. On the 16th of November, Alex was six years old. Maria passed away from the illness, so her younger sister passed away, her only friend. And then Mm. not even a month later, Alice also passed away. The really sad part is that Alice did not tell any of her children that Maria had died. So none of the children knew that May died. I don't know if they found out after her mother died that Maya died, but she tried to keep the news from the the children as much as possible. I think they were probably isolated. And unfortunately, it was also Alice got sick and died right at the very end of all of her children recovering from diphtheria. So as they were getting better, she got sick and died. And she also nursed all of them to health. Now, the weird thing is she died on the 14th of December, which is ironically the 14-year anniversary of her father's death, of Queen Victoria's husband's death. Oh, okay. Isn't that weird? I don't like Like, that. Like, to the day. Yeah, that's... I don't like that. Okay. That feels a little spooky. Yeah, that happens a lot. So this death had a really big impact on uh, Alex. Her mother and her literal best friend, May, were taken from her. And she was very close to her mother. So it really, really upset her. Literally within a month of each other, they were both gone. So that's pretty much all the support she had. Her father was consistently away doing things. So she didn't have him super close. She loved him very much, though. They just, he, it doesn't seem like he was there much. And unfortunately, because it was a bacteria, like it's diphtheria, all of her items were taken away and burned to prevent her from getting sick. Again, because it is something that you can be reinfected with if you like get sick and then recover and then, you know. So all of her toys, everything was taken away and burned. God, so they don't even have. Mm-mm. So oh, anything shit. that she could have been gifted from her siblings before they died or any possessions of theirs, they were probably all taken and burned. Unfortunately, because of how much older her siblings were, she wasn't really able to find much comfort in them anyway. So she just kind of withdrew from people. She became very, very weary of strangers. She became very cold. And a lot of her tutors would say that she rarely ever smiled anymore. So her nickname went from being Sunny to literally her never smiling. Keep in mind, she's six at this time. So she watched her mother and her best friend die, and she's six years old. And this is also when she was a year old, her brother died. So she's lost two siblings in the first six years of her life, both of the, the, the end caps of her. So the next oldest sibling from her and the youngest sibling from her. So the child that was born before and after her, they're both dead now. Mm-hmm. Also, remember Ella. She comes back up later. Mm-hmm. So Ella was the one that didn't get sick. Victoria 
Queen Victoria, she became Alex's new maternal figure. She was extremely involved in Alex's upbringing. She brought her to the UK, I believe, pretty frequently. If not, I think she actually moved to the UK to be with her grandmother. But she would get like consistent monthly like updates on Alex. So like she was very, very, very involved in Alex's upbringing because I think at this time all the other siblings were pretty much old enough to like take care of themselves. But Alex was still a child and she was the youngest at this point by like a a large margin. So Victoria became very, very involved in her her upbringing, which is good. But this also led her to being a German a German princess who had an English upbringing, which you will find later on does not really mesh well with the Russians. As she grew up, uh, and I, I mentioned this now, but this becomes more important later on. But because of all the things that she's been through and just I think she just developed like a really intense anxiety, which mood, I mean, but honestly, same. I would, too. She ended up becoming like growing into being a very high strung woman. She had a tendency to misread people and conversations. And it's said that she had such a strong personality that she needed someone else who had a stronger personality to like guide her. Like she 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 sounds like she was just a very intense woman mm-hmm. and which like. Fair enough, but yeah. So she ends up becoming a little obsessive, but I think given what she's been through at this point, it probably makes a lot of more sense. So in 1884, Alex visited Russia for the first time because her sister, Ella, was marrying a grand duke named Sergei. We'll keep him in mind for later. She was 12 years old at the time, and this is when she first met Nicholas. Now, I'm going to tell everything from Alexandra's perspective first, and then I'm going to jump over to Nicholas's perspective because it's it's a shit show. So... Alex meets Nicholas at 12 years old. He's 16 years old. So they're they're four years apart. From her perspective, from how things are going on her end, he fell in love with her right away from her perspective. Now, Nicholas is her third cousin. I don't know Mm, how that works, but... I love... Well, so the way cousins work is, like, you have your first cousin because that's the... um, child of like your parents yeah so so victoria is like a common one of victoria's sisters or brothers ended up in the romanov line it sounds like so unlike cousin would be like a second cousin would be your cousin's cousin Mm -hmm. and then third cousin would be your cousin's cousin cousin and so on so forth yeah so they were third cousins Mm, gotta love the incest in the uh the yeah this is a this is a, a consistent thing so he loved her and she loved him very much. However, she was Lutheran and he was Orthodox. I'm saying these words like I understand what they mean. I don't understand what they mean. In fact, Psychos had to explain to me in 20 minutes this Christianity analogy using, what was it, goth, punk, and, and oh, God. emo or whatever. Like I couldn't grasp it. <laughs> so here's what I understand. Oh, no. I Here's forgot I about this. Orthodox is like trad goths. And Lutheran is like emo. So Alex is emo. And Nicholas comes from a long line of like trad goths specifically. Right? And she like swore to her father that she would never, ever, ever become anything other than emo. Like that's her thing. Right? She won't do it. She's very, very, very strong. She actually doesn't understand a lot of, like, the orthodox, 
like on principles like she thinks it's kind of ridiculous so this caused them to like go back and forth for five fucking years oh jeez of him can trying to convince her to change her faith to orthodox because he wasn't allowed to marry someone who wasn't orthodox she wouldn't change from lutheran however they did still secretly write to each other and they would send letters back and forth through ella so when ella would go to visit Alex, she would bring letters from Nikki. Was what was his nickname? And whenever Nikki, like whenever she would come back to Russia, she would give Nikki letters from Alex. They nicknamed each other Pele One and Pele Two. I don't know which one's which, but that's what they were nicknamed for each other. Also, I'll get into those later, but they are like whores in their letters. I'll I'll explain it later. Nicholas tried to like not let this like just harsh rejection really get to him so in that five-year time he tried to entertain himself with other women now this is from the perspective of the romanoff sisters it's just kind of mentioned that he like tried to be interested in other women but it didn't work that's not the case (laughs) which is why i say i think it's good to be read both things but however while he was off doing whatever the fuck he was doing alex helped her father in court in hessa so she would help him make like political decisions and shit like that in march of 1892 her father louis became very very sick and very suddenly died and this was absolutely horrible for her so at this point in time she has lost two siblings her mother and now her father 1892 she would be i don't know Oh, jeez. But that's still so heartbreaking. How old would she be? 17. She'd be 20. So at 20 years old, her father died. Jeez. So oh, my God. It's almost like I wrote it in my notes if I would just read the rest of my fucking sentence. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of so, times I've yeah. done that, too. <laughs> Alex, Alex's father dies very suddenly. And she does go back to the UK to spend some time with her grandmother to like mourn basically however she can't really grieve too much because she's 20 years old she is at the prime of like her marital whatever and he died in march and marital courting time starts in the summer if we learned anything from bridgerton remember oh shit you're right so even though she's sitting here trying to grieve the loss of her father all of the gossip like tabloids even like in the u.s like in like the boston daily globe had like a lot of a lot of fucking opinions for some reason they're gossiping all of the fucking time about this situation like they're talking about oh my god like it's she's 20 years old and the courting season's coming up and what's gonna happen and who's she gonna be with and they like start shipping her with people isn't that crazy like like, like legitimate shipping or like yeah yeah like that here's the thing this is consistent Um, throughout all of this where like all of the kids like once they become of age like they get shipped with people like the the tabloids and the media are like oh my god but like did you see her with this guy and she danced with this guy and i think they would be cute with this couple like like this is like talk of the town they're like gossiping about who should be married to who isn't it fucking crazy i want to be on ao3 during this time i just oh have my to god know what like the ao3 version of this i i need it don't remind me of that at the very end of my notes. Oh, God. Remind me of that, because I actually have a thing about that. God, the shipping I'm wars must have been crazy. No, it's bad. It's bad. You it's really bad. You can't ship them. That's There's not enough incest. No, 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 no. Oh, okay, no. so I'll, I'll say it now. I'll say it now, because I will forget it later on. When Nicholas abdicates, so he steps down from the throne, right? A little bit before their execution. Mm-hmm. The tabloids were actually posting comics of the sister, of the daughter's 
in like compromising situations. That's disgusting. Because aren't and keep in mind, Anastasia's fourteen years old at the time. That's Alexi disgusting. is thirteen, twelve. Yeah, I, I don't remember. Al- like Anastasia's young. I-, I think she was sixteen actually. But they're like still like, like younger. So like that's that's how far the tabloids are willing to go for this so i hate that actually it gets brought it gets brought up it gets brought up that's the worst thing you could have ever told me i'm sorry it's not the worst thing you're going to tell me but so far that's, that's kind of I, that's pretty actually bad. the worst thing that i'm going to tell you has nothing to do with the romanovs oh shit really but i heard it and i literally had to stop and be like are you fucking kidding me yikes it's about sergey Anyway, we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. So okay. in the midst of all this grief, Victoria is offered to marry Bertie's second son, Prince George. So I think Bertie is one of Queen Victoria's sons. So her second cousin? I don't know. I don't know. No, just her cousin. Whatever. Bertie's second son, Prince George. Alex like did, did not want to do this, but she doesn't want to marry anyone else because she literally just loves Nikki. That's like the only person that she wants to marry is, is Nicholas. But also she's the only daughter left of Alice who's not been married yet. And she's 20 years old. Yeah, because isn't that at that point in time, it's like, oh, my God, she's going to be a spinster. Yeah, well, she's kind of in her prime. But once it's like 22 ish, like that's if you're not married by 22, like it's kind of like a a bad thing yeah but like 20 is kind of like your prime but they usually have an idea of who you're going to marry when once you turn like 16 like they they that's like, fair they've gossiped it out but and it comes up later with olga and to be fair like her current situation ship is trying to pressure her to become <laughs> tread goth and she doesn't want to become tread goth no, she doesn't want to become it, it's a shit show okay <laughs> so give me the tea i am stuffing Alex, my face Alex wants to marry Nikki. That's like all she wants to do. But Victoria's not comfortable with it because she doesn't trust Russia. And Russia doesn't trust England either. They don't like each other. I'm also going to go back and forth with the UK English England thing. Just fucking bear with me on okay, England. I'm just going to use England because isn't that just the country? Just that one country. Yeah, England is just the UK the is like Scotland, Ireland. The UK is like the series of like islands over there. And then Britain is that entire island that england is on so what else is on in- britain god i want to say let me see let me see let me see i'm just gonna, give me a second i gotta look up but england that. is the country because i don't want to i like it's the uk because technically queen victoria rules over all of it but doesn't like scotland and ireland not want to be part of that fucking shit show yep there's another thing in there i'm forgetting wales wales is in there too wales is in there too um, I don't want to piss off. I don't want to piss off the, the 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 people who are like we're not part of the UK. So England is that one country. Okay, so the United where, Kingdom where is, is all of it except for Ireland, and Ireland is very very hands down not part. Of, like that's not us. Okay, so who's who's in the 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 UK? Is it England, Scotland, and Wales? Who am I missing? Um, it's England, Scotland, and Wales. Yeah. And then that's just it. That's it. Ireland. Ireland is part of like the British Isles. It's part of Britain itself, but it's not part of the United Kingdom. And the United okay, Kingdom. Okay, so Britain. Britain is the Britain's the area, mm-hmm. and then the UK is what's ruled over by the like the British Empire or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's not including Ireland. And then England is the country that's on the same. Isn't it on the same island as as Scotland or is it Wales? It's Scotland. Okay. Wales is like across so, like the little across the. English so I'm just channel. gonna call it England because I I don't think Scotland wants to be part of the UK. It, no, 
Okay, so I'm just going to call it England out of respect for the, the Scottish people. Respect for you. I'm respecting you doing oh, this. thank you. You're so welcome. Anyway, so Victoria did not trust Russia, like, at all, and felt that the Russian government was very, very unstable. She also felt like it was a dangerous throne for Alex to sit on. Interesting how that keeps happening. However, it's Ella almost was like wor- something bad's gonna happen. Sorry. This comes up multiple times. Ella was working super, super hard to set her sister up with Nicholas. Later on, however, she would try really hard to try to like be orthodox. Ella had converted over to orthodox when she married supposedly her and her husband sergey i'm assuming this is the right ella there's like okay first of all the romanov family uses the same three names michael nicholas maria i I don't know i don't know why there's like 50 million fucking whatever so you just you gotta bear with me okay because like literally there was one point where i'm like there was like a one point in the book where like Maria was writing a message to Maria about something Maria said. And they're all three different women. So just bear with me. <laughs> you just gotta be like, oh, Maria, which one? Which one? Before the wrong type of drama starts. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1894, so two years later, after her, her father dies, Alex's brother Ernie married in Russia. And this is when her and Nicholas would see each other again. Now... This time, he finally was able to convince her to marry him. Now, I'm going to mention this more in detail on Nicholas's side. But he finally talked to her and convinced her to convert to orthodoxy. And once they did, it was like, okay, that's it. We're going to get married. However, Alex also seems to have agreed because now that Ernie was marrying she was the one that was helping Ernie in court. And now that he's married, his wife would be taking over that position. So she didn't have much to do. She really liked being involved in the court. So she was like, there's nothing for me to do. I might as well just marry this guy. Victoria eventually agreed that she can marry Nicholas because Victoria and Alice both believed that their children should marry for love. Victoria married for love. So it felt probably like not like against her morals to be like, no, you can't marry him just because you love him. Like she didn't want her kids to marry just for like political reasons. So that kind of swayed her a little bit because Victoria also married for love. She was like, okay, fine, I guess. So right after that, before an official engagement, I think had been like really made, she started taking Russian lessons and she began trying to convert over to um, orthodoxy. However, there's an issue with this. So, why is there so many issues? Because unfortunately, it seems like from the very beginning, this relationship never should have happened. And I honestly think if this relationship never happened, half there's there's so many things that went wrong, and it really we really get into it more when I go into Nicholas, but it makes a lot more sense as to how this relationship probably was doomed from the start because of how many like- things were going wrong and how many rules they broke to be able to be married because on top of this Alex was struggling with the fact that even their third cousins but it's they're closer they they were so there was I don't remember who it is but there's one person that both Alex and Nicholas is 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 his first cousin so Alex is his first cousin and Nicholas is his first cousin so they're Ooh. not super far apart in the family tree but 
it was like a big thing for Alex. She was really nervous about how close they were if familially that she was really, really worried about if like it, there was taboos with that. Like it, it, she actually had like a really big issue with this and she was eventually convinced that it was okay. But like, even just the fact that they're getting married is a, is a situation on top of there's so many rules that are being broken. So, and again, I get more into it with Nicholas, but neither of the families wanted this marriage to happen. It took a long time and it took two families, specifically Queen Victoria and Alexander III, it took both of them pretty much disregarding their like moral, their like political standing with certain things for these two to even agree to be able to marry. And then the actual marriage itself was a shit show. Like the circumstances in which they got married were so chaotic that you pretty much knew immediately that it was, it was going to fail. Yeah, it sounds like had this marriage not happened, we wouldn't be talking. We wouldn't. Like, we literally wouldn't. We wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't. Like, we wouldn't be here discussing this today. We wouldn't. So, hang on, I just ate a pretzel. <laughs> it wouldn't. Crunch. Crunch. Okay, so, here's the issue with this. So, Alex suffered from sciatica. Really, really, really intense sciatica. There were many days, and even since she was younger, she couldn't walk. She also had issues with inflammation of the ear, nervous headaches and migraines, poor circulation. There were days when she um, couldn't make it out of bed. A lot of the times later on in life, she had to be wheeled around in like a bath chair, like a wheelchair, basically. Um, She could not get up. (laughs) Um, She was very, very, very sick. So the other thing is that a really big rule in the Russian like family the Romanov family is that you can't marry people who are sick, you know? So like had she had, uh, which I don't think hemophilia is a, a feminine, like I don't think women get hemophilia. I think it's a male thing, but uh, like had she been sick with some like more outward disease, they wouldn't have been allowed to be married. But ironically, her sickness was something that could kind of be covered up by just feigning that it was stress and that's what victoria did a lot is she was like oh she, i think she actually like telegrammed nikki or called nikki and was like hey your wife is just so stressed and sick from the marriage and like the still grieving her father and all this stuff that it's making her faint like it's making her sick and that's how they were able to disguise her sciatica so that the the family would allow her to marry because Nicholas's mother did not like Alex at all. I think they were trying to keep it from her a little bit because she wasn't the one that approved him being able to marry Alex. It was actually Alexander that did that, which is his uh, father. Anyway, we'll get into it with Nicholas. So, but yeah, Victoria was str- like convinced that it was like from the stress of all the marriage. They, because of all of the issues that she was having, she actually went to a hot spring and I looked this place up. So she went to the Sulphur Hot Springs in Harrogate, H-A-R-R-O-G-A-T-E. I am so pronouncing that wrong, and I'm so sorry for anyone who knows that place. But she was sent to the Sulphur Springs to, like, help with her sciatica. And she went under a false name, but she, like, it was pretty obvious the moment people saw her, they knew who she was. So people would actually, like, go down to the hot springs and, like, gawk at her. And, like, really? W- That's awful. Mm-hmm. They would like watch her and like stand in the corner and whisper about her and be like, oh my God, like she's sick. Because like, she had to have, she was wheeled to the hot, the sulfur spring. She couldn't walk because she was so sick because she had sciatica. God, that's that's like somebody sitting in the corner of the hospital room where I was staying whenever I had the migraine. 
and like pointing whispering. and whispering. Yeah, literally. Yeah, but she they did that every day. There's actually letters from her to Nicholas being like, they just fucking stare at me. I want to like stick my tongue out at him. Like she wrote that down. I mean, honestly, you should. Like, if they're gonna sit there and like gawk at you, and you're gonna become like their future queen, all you gotta do is go. Mm. I know. So she was staying at a house on the property, and she ended up becoming really close with the staff and the person, the host that was taking care of her while she was at the spring. Um, she was incredibly informal with them, and it actually threw them off because she's a grand duchess, or she's a princess, but she's a duchess. So she was said to talk really casually with the staff. She would sing a lot. She would startle the staff by coming in and helping them make her own bed, and she would also join them in the kitchen chatting and talking with them and also helping her take care of the babies. She actually became so close to the host that when the host's babies were christened, it was a boy and a girl. When they were christened, they were named Alex and Nicholas after the royal couple. Aww. And they were um, the kids' like godparents, basically. Aww, that's so cute. So, anyway, there was a lot of gossip because of Alex's visit to the Sulphur Springs that she was, like, medically ill. And the, like... England actually had to put out an official statement saying that she did not have any medical issues at all. But everyone was worried that the engagement would be broken off because of the rule in Russia that you can't marry someone who's sick. That's so heartbreaking. Yeah. It was not great. Like, imagine you not being able to marry me because I'm sick. I know. I'm skimming over a lot of the politics here, but eventually Alex and Nicholas would be scheduled to marry in the spring of 1895. So, unfortunately, that just w- would not be the case. Um, Actually, to show you how early that is, they were supposed to be married in 1895. Uh, Olga's born 1895. <laughs> so, Jesus Christ. We do a That's little, a- yeah, it gets, it gets pretty, it's pretty wild. So the, the wedding was scheduled for spring of 1895. However, Alexander III became very, very sick, very suddenly. And Alex and Nicholas were sent to see him. And they were formally married before Alexander. Like he 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 was wit- bear wit- bared witness to their like informal marriage, like among just among the family. He ended up dying on October twelfth or October twentieth. Sorry, twentieth or nineteenth. It's nineteenth or twentieth. I I don't know. I don't know why there's a discrepancy there. So he either died on the nineteenth or twentieth. He died sometime in October, um, late October. And the next day, Alex was accepted by the Orthodox Church. Sounds like there was some. Uh... They Yeah, so they were scheduled to be married in spring of the next year. They were married in October of the year before. So the wedding happened like six months early because it did. They get get married like right after this. After a mourning period, the wedding plans were just kind of like thrown out the window and they were officially married on November 14th. So not even a month later, they were officially married. The people remarked that Alex was beautiful, but she seemed very reserved and withdrawn from the ceremony. She went to bed early that night with a headache, and the people said that they felt uncertain about their future the moment that Nicholas uh, took over and they had the wedding. Like, the moment that everything went down, the people were like, we don't feel comfortable. And I'll I'll get into it with Nicholas, but it's because of Alexander. He's a problem, (laughs) if you couldn't tell. Oh, no. So people said that something felt very different than how it felt when the previous czar was you know, there. Now, with the wedding in particular, they didn't have all of the full ceremonies because the country was still in a state of mourning. So they were able to have a more reserved wedding. And Alex was actually more okay with that. So her kind of cold 
personality that she just kind of had seemed kind of normal because they were still in a mourning period. They skipped a lot of the extravagant ceremonies that would have happened and just out of respect for Alexander. So that's that their wedding was just not as big and extravagant as it could have been. They still had a big wedding because it was kind of argued that Nicholas and Alex deserved it because they were taking over as like Tsar and Tsaritsa. But that was like that. That was that situation. So anyway, however, after this, she you know, she is now in the Russian court. Now, the problem is, is she doesn't know jack shit about Russian culture. She doesn't even speak French very well, which is the language of the, like, the court. She doesn't speak French. She's very bad at it. She speaks German and, like, uh, a little bit of English, but she didn't know anything of the customs, and she felt very out of place, and she honestly personally felt very rushed. She felt like she just didn't have a full grasp of it. She was trying to convert to orthodoxy. She was accepted by the church, but her tutors said that she was like a really big, like she had a stick up her ass when it came to converting over to orthodoxy. She was very cold about it. And she still, I think, struggled a lot with her converting. And it took her a while to really feel comfortable in orthodoxy. And then she just like went fucking gung ho. She's a very religious woman. They took residence in the Alexander Palace with his mom still living there. They're living with the mother in law. Isn't no, that bonkers? You. No, thank you. Right? So I don't like that. No, literally. She was super uncertain of Russia. And Russia was very weary of her because she's an English-German woman. So they were very, very, like, kind of cold to her. And she was cold to them. So she spent a lot of her time, like, shut up in the like in the house. She really didn't leave much. The court was also really, like, they judged her for a lot of reasons. One, her bad French. But also they were kind of mad at her because Maria, who was Nicholas's mother, she took Maria's place in the court. And Maria was great at what she did. And so they felt upset that Maria had been kicked out of her spot in court. Now, this is kind of something that happens a lot. But Maria and Alex, like, they kind of went at it, (laughs) like, a lot. They were, like, consistently backhanded talking to each other. Maria would openly insult Alex at dinner. She didn't send her any jewels or pass down any heirlooms of her side of the family when Alex took over. She sent a gift and, like, congratulations when Nicholas told his mom that they were getting engaged. And actually, Nicholas himself was very surprised that Maria responded so happily about it. But then after they got married, Maria was just kind of like, yeah, fuck you. Oh, jeez. They really said, uh... Oh, this is nice. And then, no, never mind. Another thing that was a really big issue for Alex is it seems like she was a little bit of a germaphobe. So she did not like being touched, it seems. And a common thing that it sounds like happens is whenever people greet Azar, Zaritza, they kiss their hands. That's like a sign of respect. Whenever people went to go touch her, she would physically recoil. I mean, that's like normal for like all royalty from what I've gathered, from what I've seen Mm -hmm. at least. But I don't think it's normal in England. I'm not sure. I don't see that happen a lot. I see a lot of bowing, but I don't see a lot of like the kissing of the hands unless it's someone who's like personal to the throne. But that was like a common thing to happen with just like regular people. But you also have to remember that Alex's mother and sister both died of diphtheria, which is able to be contracted by, I think, physical contact. Yeah. Like given how she like, like how many people she lost at a very early age from a sickness it's it's not surprising surprise yeah. that she's like this i'm actually surprised it's not more intense it also, gets it's kind of weird it, okay <laughs> okay <laughs> how does it get worse uh it just it, like in life it gets worse oh okay got it so were you gonna say something i was actually like the con- there's like a connection between her and adolfo like they were few like 
like physical touch like on the hands like if you were just meeting somebody like you had to be like kind of close Mm -hmm. in order for like that casual like physical touch to be a thing Mm -hmm. so but i think it's like but i think it's for two separate reasons like he grew up like surrounded by filth and stuff like there wasn't like any history of disease yeah but like her was like more diseased and more like yeah germaphobe yay so after she moved into the alexander palace she began decorating their area that they had taken over but unfortunately since she was raised in england she had a lot of victorian taste which was considered very 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 ugly to the russian people and i don't know what the color mauve is or mauve or whatever but apparently was her favorite fucking color so she decorated everything that fucking color do you know what color that is i'm looking it up okay it's like a purplish pinkish color she loved that color so everything was that fucking color. She decorated the house very, like, English style, and everyone found it very ugly. Um, so It's me. I am the maximalist <sighs> in this relationship. I need knickknacks. I need things. Mood. Now, here's the thing. Now, they're married, which means now Alex has one responsibility to have a son. That's literally her only job. <laughs> so um, given what I already know previously, um she needs a new job yes so right after they got married um and since the court was being a pain in the ass to handle she literally just focused on trying to have a son which means she just fucked nicholas a lot i'm sorry i don't want to say it anyway soon after this she would yeah that usually happens whenever you're trying to make a baby okay side tangent no side tangent here Mm -hmm. i don't like it when people announce that they're trying you knew you were gonna mention nobody (laughs) needs to know hey we're fucking like all the time we're fucking all the time and uh we're not using protection and it's gross right like you like in conversation it probably like flies under the radar and then afterwards you're just like ew (laughs) Like, like when the moment you're like, oh my gosh, congratulations, I hope it goes well. And then like afterwards, you're just like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. So I didn't need to know all of that. <laughs> so not long after their wedding, she would be bedridden with morning sickness. She So Nicholas would leave in the morning for work and then he would come back in the afternoon and uh, evening to like spend time with her. And there was a lot of pressure on her to have a son. It's literally her only fucking job. There's also more pressure on her because other people in the Romanov family, and I say Romanov very loosely, it's like just the whole entirety of like everyone. The, some Most of the people in their circle were either on their first or second son at this point. So they were having mul- like sons were being born all over the family. And also a lot of the previous, specifically Romanov line, tended to have multiple sons. That was a common thing. Yeah, they would so. have a lot of sons. So, Which is hilarious because everybody would be like, oh my gosh, so it's her fault. No, it's, it's his, his fault. fault. It's his fault. He's the one that carries the genes to <laughs> determine the fucking gender. At some point Gender during, is a construct. Gender is a construct. At some point during this like whole shit show, I don't know at one point he would begin leaving, but they would consistently write like just throughout their life. They would write really raunchy notes to each other. They had nicknames for their respective private parts. And he would basically write her being like, hey, tell your lady bits that my man bits miss her so much. Like, that's the conversation. I'm sorry. Girl, what? I'm not even kidding. (laughs) Bitch, what? That's okay. But also, it was noted that Nicholas was very shy. So he would write these and then immediately get like, you know, in like anime, when someone said something and they just like put their hands at the, like, it's like that, like, that, like, really overdramatic, like, Deku face of like, oh my God. Like that, that's like he would oh, get god. super bashful. So he would say like some really dirty shit, and then be like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I just shut that." <laughs> oh my god, shut the fuck up! I no, hate I'm not those even, kinds he would of write it out too <laughs> in letters. He'd be like, 
And then and then Alex would be like, oh, it's so cute that you get so shy after saying the dirtiest shit. <laughs> I hate people like that. I genuinely do. Like, dude, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, you actively great. annoy me. It was great. So, like, if it's unintentional, like, if you say something that's unintentionally dirty and you're like, oh, shit, I didn't mean to say it like that or, like, something, like, fine, whatever. Fine. But if but you're actively, purpose. like, sexting somebody, essentially sexting, um, yeah. s- settering, whatever, sex lettering. <laughs> sex lettering. But it's uh, okay. We sorry. we move on. We move on. So they officially get married in November of 1894. 1895, November 2nd, Olga's born. I'm not going to go too hard into this because I'll, I'll bring it up with Olga, but her birth was like a blessing, but also it 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 just wasn't it wasn't it. However, yeah, because she's not a boy. <laughs> a lot of people had to about that. However, Nicholas and Alex were extremely excited to have Olga. Nicholas was a very doting father. Most of his journals were him taking photos of her, talking about her, recording even the smallest milestones. Um, he was like, Aww. he was such a happy, a happy father. And in their home, when they when it's abandoned after they get kidnapped, like people would go in and tour it and it's still full of just like photos of the of the kids. Like they literally documented every single second of these kids' lives. They loved their daughters. So and their their son. They loved their kids so much. So they were kind of good parents. They were great parents. Well, Nicholas was a great father. Oh. <laughs> we'll get into it. Okay. So once Olga was born, the birth really took a toll on Alex. Um, She was bedridden for a good bit after her birth. When she was able to get out and spend time with people, it said that she was rather boring and distant. And she only really talked about her husband and like praised him and talked about her kids. She didn't really do much else. She was obsessed with Nicholas. If she wasn't talking about Nicholas or spending time with Nicholas, she was spending time with her daughter. So much so that the nanny that they had actually complained because Alex kept stalking by the nursery too much because they were kept separate. Like, because it's normal to have like a, a governess or someone that like raise your kid. Yeah. But Alex was raised by a mother who was very hands-on. They didn't have a nanny to take over. Or if they did, it, it wasn't very common. So Alex was very used to being hands-on. She also really wanted to nurse her kids, which was considered a gross. So after, by Olga's first birthday, Alex was already showing signs of being pregnant again, but she was having severe pains and she was really worried about having a miscarriage. Because of this, there was like a full shutdown of like everything, like news, everything. They didn't tell anyone anything until it was like confirmed that they would be having this kid because of how rough this this pregnancy was on her. Um, even most of the imperial family didn't know anything until the beginning of the next year. So about halfway through the pregnancy-ish. I don't know how pregnancies work. At the beginning of next year, after like several weeks of being able to like having like being bedridden, not being able to do anything, she was finally enabled to like announce that she was pregnant. Unfortunately, because of this like really strict shutdown of information, it was like rumors were just going crazy because they weren't getting anything. They were like, you're not saying anything. Something weird has to be happening. So people were theorizing that she was, God, it's so weird. So rumors and superstitions had started spreading around Russia. There's a story that a half blind cripple who had prophetic powers when he would go into epileptic fits said that he did miracle work on the empress and foretold that she would have a boy. Okay. I mean, okay. Go off, I guess. But um, 
It gets it worse from here. It gets worse from here. Oh, okay. So um, around this time, she was having a lot more anxiety because her sister Irene had just given birth to her second son and her sister-in-law, Xenia, who is Nicholas's sister. She had also just had uh, her second son. Oh, geez. So the pressure is really on at yes. this point. So in May of 1897, Titiana would be born. When she woke up and was told that she had a daughter, she burst into tears and screamed, My God, it's a daughter. It is again a daughter. What will the nation say? What will Russia say? That's where her mentality is. Keep in mind, she has two more daughters after this. Oh, geez. So she's just going to keep spiraling and spiraling because, like, at this point, she feels like she's failing at the one job that she has. Yep. And, it's and on top of that, the Russian well. people already don't like her because she's a she's German. An outsider. And, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it just gets worse. And it, it really makes a lot more sense how she treats her daughters later on and how – so, yeah, well uh, – I don't like Rasputin, but it makes more sense knowing this backstory why she gets so obsessed with him. They did not have an affair, by the way. Before anyone comes for me, they didn't have an affair. Oh my god, I found a guitar solo of that on TikTok the other day. It was really good. Seriously? It was so good. Anyway. Jeez, okay. It said that Nicholas was very happy to have a daughter, but the rest of the Russian imperial family was not excited. Apparently, Nicholas's brother, um, Gregory, told Nicholas that he was disappointed to not have a nephew to take over for him. He said, quote, I was already preparing to go into retirement but it was not to be because I think Gregory might have been the the next in line or mm-hmm. something like that. Like it's there's I think he was like still having to uphold a certain position because I don't think he was the immediate next person in line. But I think he was one of the next people in line to take over the throne if something happened to Nicholas, which does come up later. Nicholas actually gets sick, even though Nicholas said nothing publicly about being disappointed. Apparently, the Boston Globe took it upon themselves to have a fucking opinion and said he was taking it very hard. That he had yet again been denied a male heir. Um, I don't know why they care so fucking much, but they did. Um, is this true? Like, did, that's that's true. That, that's a quote. No, like, was uh, he upset about it? Yeah, he gets yeah. more upset. Like, it, it gets to the point that when Anastasia is born, he physically leaves the palace and, like, goes on a walk for, like, a while before he comes back to see his daughter. That's how disappointed he is. He's physically seen Lee. Like, he didn't even see Alex yet. The moment he found out that Anastasia was a girl, he left the palace. And the thing is, he loves his daughters all very, very, very much. But the disappointment of not having a son after four tries was so immense. Because you have to consider that they're, like, going back to back to back. But her only job is to have a son. They get Anastasia is born in 1901. They got married in 1994 or 1894. So it takes them seven years to have a son. Seven years of trying to have a son. And they are pretty much having these kids back to back to back. There's a gap a little bit. Um, I think there's there's a two-year gap between Titiana and Maria. And then there's another two-year gap between maria and um anastasia but you also have to consider all of the stress that they're under and then there's a three-year gap between anastasia and alexi so it took them 10 years to have a son they had five kids it took them 10 years to have a son and then once they had the son it yeah we'll get went there. downhill we'll get there we'll get there 
However, after the pregnancy, she recovered a lot better from Titiana's pregnancy. So we're going to pause Alex. We're going to jump to Nicholas. So I'm actually going to go a little bit into Alexander, because which is his father. So Alexander III and Maria. That's his parents. I'm going to go a little bit into them. I went a little bit into Alice. Um, but it's going to make a lot more sense uh, for how Russia reacts to Maria or to, uh, reacts to Nicholas and Alex if you understand more about the parents. So Alexander III was nicknamed the Colossus. He was known to sport plain clothing, boots, and blouses, and a full beard. His party tricks consisted of showing off his strength with the pot belly to match it. He was a big party animal. He also dressed very casually. Dude. I think he dressed like a like a typical Russian guy. He was like the definition of a hardy Russian guy. He had a very harsh personality. He was very, very strict. And he really pushed foreign policy. Which I don't know what the fuck that means, but someone will know. But Minnie, which is his wife Maria, that's what they called her, Minnie. She loved ceremonies. She had a radiant smile. She adored the finer things in life, like dresses, diamonds, and parties. He didn't like parties that much, but he would attend. But she was a big dancer. She loved going out. She loved being out. It was very different than what you see with Nicholas and Alexandria. Mm -hmm. Both of them were known to flirt with other people, but they were very, very faithful and loyal to each other. So they they had that comfortableness in their marriage that they loved each other very, very much. They They were very, very comfortable with each other to the point that they were, like, okay flirting with other people because they were like, we're not going to sleep with you. Um the emperor, Alexander, was known to horseplay with his kids. He loved being outside and playing in nature. He spent a lot of time outdoors, and he taught his kids a lot about the outdoors. He really liked having them be out and in nature and, like, coming into themselves in nature. He also said that playing with his kids and being around his kids was kind of a mental reset, and it was one of the few times that he was able to relax. Aww. However, the czar was a bit of a drinker. <laughs> But he was careful about oh, when no. he drank. Yeah. But he was okay. he was very careful when he drank. So he didn't drink in the morning or the afternoon when he was making political decisions. He would only drink at night, only with his buddies. So he would only drink when he didn't have to do anything too serious when it came to, like, the government. However, at night – so he would be kind of serious during the day. And then at night, when he was hanging around with his buddies, he would be very, very playful. Um, to the point that one of his favorite things to do was spray his friends with water guns. <laughs> he would sometimes get so drunk that he would fall down onto his back. He would wave his limbs around kind of like a stranded turtle like on his back, just kind of like wiggling or a bug. And it said that he would grab onto the legs of anyone who would pass him <laughs> trying to get back up. Honestly, me. However. <laughs> me when I fall without my cane. <laughs> no, literally. In the late 1880s, doctors urged him to stop drinking. Um, because it was really starting to impact his health. So Maria would actually babysit him and follow him around. However, that didn't really stop him because him and his friends had special boots made that would hide flasks um, of alcohol in his um, boots. And You're so what joking. they would – No, I'm not even kidding you. So what they would do is they would wait until Maria had turned away. And then they had um, – Oh, God. They had this phrase. It was like necessity is the mother of invention or something. And so they would go one, two, three, swig. And they would really quickly take a swig of alcohol and then they would tuck it back into their boots and pretend like nothing happened. And so Maria would get really confused why she would be watching him all the time. And then at the end of the night, he'd still end up completely blackout drunk on his back, grabbing at people as they walked by. She did not understand it. But him and his buddies were drinking behind her back and they did this every single day. Oh, I bet when she figured out she was pissed. Oh, she pissed. Also, I don't know where to put this in. I just I randomly put it in my notes, but apparently Nicholas is scared of the dentist. I just randomly Me put too. that in here. 
me um, fucking too, dude. Yeah, I got I got you. I understand. <laughs> okay, I understand. Nicholas, he was born May 18th of 1868. He was the oldest of five siblings. Um, his younger siblings were George, Zenia, Michael, and Olga. So he has a younger sister, Olga, which is... I don't want to talk about it. Um, however, don't want to talk about it? I don't want to talk about it. Olga and Olga... I don't want to talk about it. Did they get along? No, they they got along great, which causes me a lot of fucking problems. I'm trying to figure out who's talking (laughs) to who. Nicholas was extremely close to his mother. And probably because he... His father... (laughs) So, Nicholas... Nicholas was kind of a mama's boy. Because his father was a very harsh man in the sense that, like, he really... fucking damn it. I'm sorry. He really pushed Nicholas. And Nicholas was kind of always seen as, like, a big baby. He was a very soft man. And this, as you can imagine, becomes a problem when he has to take over as, like, czar of Russia. Um, You cannot be soft man in Russia. No, literally. There isn't much to talk about as far as his child goes. It's just neither of the books really mentioned much about him. Um, even from what I could find online, just like as a basic cursory, like, look, there wasn't much going on with his childhood. He did seem to spend some time in the military and he really enjoyed the strict routine that the military gave him. And it seems like if he hadn't taken over his R, he would have done great in the military. But unfortunately, that's just not the cards that life dealt him. So we're jumping back a little bit. 1884 is when they first meet him and Alex meet. So Nicholas would write in his diary... That he sat next to a little 12-year-old girl and he liked her very much. Her name was Alex. Aww. He wrote that May 27th. May 31st, he said that they had written their names in the rear window of the Italian house that they were staying at. Um, But by November 19th, uh, Nicholas's feelings for her were completely gone. He said that the the feeling of wanting to get married had passed by breakfast is kind of what he wrote in his journal. So, I'm sorry. That's that's rough. So he's and Alex is like fully convinced that he was in love with her the entire fucking. Well, so he was, he was, he was. But it's there's a very strict difference between what men and women can do. So in 1890, March 23rd. Nicholas meets a Polish ballerina named Matilde. Matilde? I can't pronounce her last name. I'm going to call her MK from now on. So Nicholas, his parents did not agree between the relationship between him and Alex. So they kind of try to get his mind off of it. He was kind of trying to forget it. So that year, they took him to the Imperial School of Theatrical Dance, and this is where he met MK. He was there for a little bit, and they kept running into each other, and she actually wrote in her diary, he will be mine. She was in love with him. However, he wasn't much of, like, a romantic man, so not much happened between them while they were, like, there. He just kind of, like, left. He ended up leaving a little while later to uh, go to India. He was, like, traveling the world, kind of. And then once he left He will be mine, bitch, you thought. No, I know it, she was seething whenever she saw the fucking wedding going you, on. You actually have no idea. She actually actively tries to sabotage them. We'll get into it. So Trauma. after he spent... No, literally. I didn't even know about this until today. So after he leaves the theater school, he like spends some time there, whatever. He leaves to India and then he ends up traveling to Japan. Now, him and Japan have a lot of fucking issues. So while he's in Japan, he gets in Otsu... 
uh, OTSU. He gets this massive dragon tattoo on his right forearm. I had no idea that he had a fucking tattoo. But while he's going in around this area, um, one of the policemen that's escorting him attempts to assassinate him, swings at him with his sword, but misses and just leaves a scar on the right side of his forehead. It was a failed assassination attempt. He ended up leaving Japan right after this. But on his way home, on on his way home, he passed through a small town called Tomsk, T-O-M-S-K, where he would be greeted by a large crowd of people, including a young man named Yakov Yurovsky. This name does not sound familiar to me. He would be the man who reads their death sentencing <gasps> in the basement and gives the signal for the firing squad to kill <gasps> the Romanovs. No. Mm-hmm. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. 18, no. no fuck. 20, 28 years. Something like that. Yeah. 28 years later. Oh, shit. That little boy would order the execution of Nicholas II and his family. Mm-hmm. I'm speechless. So. It's all <laughs> on the floor. I know. So when he came back home, he met back up with Mathilde. However, he um, a little bit after that, he would write in his diary that he was still in love with Alex, but he was also in love with his little Kay, is what he called her. Now, it's mentioned in the book that it's platonic, but it's obviously not. Afterwards, him and his cousin Sandro would visit the ballet so often that his parents were like pissed off. They were like, You keep leaving. You're not writing to us. Like, what the fuck's going on? You're not sending a telegram, nothing. Like, that's how often he was going to visit her. Later on in 1893, so he starts having this affair with her in 1890. It's an affair, but you know, 1890, he starts seeing her. 1893. So they're together for three years at this point. He finally loses her virginity to her. Do you want to take a wild fucking guess how old this guy is? How old is he? He's 24. Oh, God. (laughs) Finally loses her virginity. His virginity to her. He basically just, like, hung out with her, and he he wrote in his journal, he was like, my hands are still shaking. So, like, he literally, like, had sex with her and then immediately was like, I have to write this down. (laughs) Oh, God. That's (laughs) disgusting, actually. I think I hate men. I think I hate men. So, he would just party, like, non-fucking-stop. He would go on these, like, four-day binges is what they were called. I think where he would just, like, sleep with her for, like, four days nonstop and just, like, drink and, like, go party and go ham, right? But he's 24 years old. He's still playing hide-and-seek. Like, he's acting like a boy. And he's actually described as, like, a man-child or, like, a half-boy, half-man because he's very, very naive. He's very, very young acting. He's not acting like a 24-year-old man. And this is kind of a consistent thing is people really look down on him for this. After he loses his virginity. And when I say after, I mean like after. He loses his virginity to her January 25th of 1893. He wrote, oh God. He wrote it down. He was like, well, he dates all of his journals. He's like, I. (laughs) No, 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 no. Listen to this. Listen to this. So, so, so this is 1893. They get married in 1894. Oh, shit. So he loses his virginity to her. But then, remember, courting season's coming back up this summer. So all the people that got courted last summer are now getting married this summer. So he spends the entire summer 
running around Europe to all these different weddings. And while he's there, he's looking for Alex. He's hoping she'll be there. He wrote in his diary that he was surprised that he could love two people at once because he still loved his little Kay, but he also still loved Alex. And he was very alarmed by this. Bro, you have two hands. Also, when they met the first time, Alex was under the impression that Nicholas loved her right away, but Nicholas would actually remark later that Alex was pretty, but he liked Ella better. And Ella was the one getting married to Sergei. Oh, no. It gets worse. It gets worse. Oh, God. So he's still looking for Alex. He's still writing to her. This is that five-year gap. He's still writing to her all the time. Alex and him, at this point, they're sending those letters back and forth through Ella while he's in the middle of having a three-year affair with MK that no one knows about except for, like, his parents and his cousin. He's still pressuring Alex to convert to Orthodox to marry him while he's still sleeping with MK. Alexander allows Nicholas to explore his feelings for Alex because his mother was a princess of Hesse. Oh. So he's like, sure, go off, I guess. Like, go ahead. But Alexander is the one that allows this. And you have to remember, Queen Victoria also allowed Alex to explore her feelings for Nicholas because Alex is her granddaughter and Victoria married for love. So Victoria and Alexander both went against the political side of it because their emotional side said this is something that's okay. Imagine what would have happened if everybody just put their foot down and said nope. I know. Do you think uh, like Russia would be the way it is today if everybody just said no? No. No. I really don't. Because the had Alexander it's so people who study this talk about how Alexander was the one who like so he's he's he dies in a little bit. He literally dies in like two boil points. He dies. And by the time that Nicholas was executed, Alexander would have only been in his 60s. And, you know, people wonder, like, would he have reacted differently? Because the problem is, is that the revolution starts building momentum the moment Alex or uh, Nicholas takes over. He actively continues to suppress the rebellion up until he literally can't ignore it anymore. And the rebellion kind of started because I think of this unease but I don't think Alexander was getting a lot of the flack for it. I don't. I don't. I don't remember if Nick, if Alexander was getting a lot of the the hits for the rebellion the same way, the the revolution. So people wonder, would it be different? But I don't know. Would Alexander have acted differently than Nicholas would when it came to the rebellion? Because Alexander would have. Nicholas was trying to act how his father was, but unfortunately, Nicholas took his powers a little bit too far. And I get into it once he takes over a czar. But it's this whole situation was doomed from the start. They had four daughters before they had a son. They got introduced to Rasputin. They were originally going to agree to a different type of government, and Nicholas turned it down. They I'm actually sorry, were trying I... to they were trying to instill a dictatorship. And I get into it later on, but they were trying to instill a dictatorship. But this one guy that Nicholas had in his, like, council didn't want to push for that. He pushed for a constitution instead. And when Nicholas tried to push for a dictatorship, the guy that he wanted to refused it. 
And so they ended up with a constitution that kind of gave the people what they wanted. But Nicholas did something really stupid and it ended up getting him a lot of mistrust with people. I don't think Alexander would have made that same mistake. So from the get-go, Nicholas wasn't prepared to take over a czar. Alexander didn't train him very well. On his deathbed, Alexander was asked if he had prepared his son for it, and Alexander said that Nicholas knew everything that he needed to. Alex did not prepare Nicholas to take over a czar. Nicholas literally, once he became, like, once his father died, was like, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to Russia? And everyone's like, dude, you're taking over as the fucking czar. And everyone was like, oh, it's normal for, you know, the, the person that's about to take over to be guilty and nervous. The guy who first took over, Michael I, I think, he literally stopped the tr- the the ride back to the capital to to be crowned emperor of Russia like three times because he was having panic attacks because he was like a farm boy not a farm boy but he was like a lower class kind of person and then all of a sudden he was elected to take over as all of Russia it was said that when he was going to be coronated he didn't even know half the territories he was passing through and now he had to rule over them None of the czars in the Roman and em- the Roman Roman in the Romanov Empire they were never prepared to take over except for Alexander. He was great at what he did. Nicholas was not prepared, and I don't think anyone anticipated Alexander passing away so soon. I don't think Nicholas was ready to take over. I think if he had some more time, maybe. But Nicholas was a huge mama's boy, and I really think Maria honestly called him too much. I mean, yeah, but Jesus, I know. Anyway. So Nicholas is still trying to pressure Alexandria to convert while he's still having an affair with MK, right? He's going to see her all of the fucking time. So he, oh God. So Alexandra, I know. So April 7th, no, I lied. April 6th, I think. MK was actually supposed to meet up with Nicholas. Nicholas ended up sending her a letter saying, hey, I can't come see you. My dad's like dying. Now, when he arrived back home, guess who was waiting for him? Alex, along with all of her English family, to support him because Alexander was dying. Okay, that's actually really sweet, though. So Alex was there waiting for him. Alexander's fine, by the way. He gets better. <laughs> He's fine. But doesn't he April... die? Uh, he does. He gets So this man has only ever been sick twice in his life up to this point. But... He's starting to die because of his excessive drinking. Okay, that's fair. So he he gets sick. Oh, I skipped something. I'm so sorry. So Sergey, he is married to Ella. So Sergey writes to Nicholas. Sergey and Ella are orchestrating letters back and forth for Nicholas and Alex. And they were actually setting up times for them to meet. Nicholas would actually invite Alex out to Russia and then be cold to her. And Sergey was so pissed about it. He wrote his wrote Nicholas he's like, dude, what the fuck? Like, me and Ella have been doing all of this work to try and get you two together. And the moment that Alex shows up in Russia, you decide to be an asshole about it. He was like, stop talking to my wife about this. Me and my wife about this. If you're not going to follow through. That's how often Nicholas was flip-flopping between wanting to be with Alex and not wanting to be with Alex. But she didn't see any of that. Sergey and Ella did because they were the ones that were orchestrating everything. But they were pissed. And that was the first time he did it. He kept doing it. I would be too. Like, if you're going to keep, like, dude, can't have your cake and eat it too, my guy. Can't do that. So in January of 1894 is when he gets called back to um, home because Alexander's sick. He gets better, but 
you know, shit happens. So April 7th of 1894, probably around that time that she returns for a wedding, uh, Nicholas and Alexandra sit down and after a very long conversation, she agrees to convert to Orthodox. However, what ended up happening was the day before, Ella pressured Alexandra into being willing to convert. Nicholas and Alexandra talked for like five to eight hours, like in the morning. And when they were done talking, Nicholas came out excited. Alexandra was sobbing because she swore to her father that she would never convert to anything other than Lutheran. And her father's dead. So her dying, her father's dying wish was that she would stay Lutheran. She just agreed to be Orthodox to be able to marry Nicholas. So she's betrayed her father to marry Nicholas after five, I think it's like five or eight hours, something like that. Like they were talking for hours. So it was hours of being pressured to do this. It said that after the conversation, Alex was a lot more talkative and smiley. I think she might have just been exhausted and loopy. It sounds like she was tormented into agreeing to be orthodox, personally. Jeez. Afterwards, huh? I said, I feel so bad for her. I know. April 10th, Nicholas wrote to his mother saying that, you know, Alex agreed to be orthodox. We can marry. And she responded very excitedly, sending jewels and eggs, Fabergé eggs, which is something that actually Alexander gifted his wife a lot. He had specially made Fabergé eggs for her. That was like a thing. She even asked what kind of jewelry Alex liked. Nicholas um, was very shocked to receive this letter. And he even responded saying that he was surprised that his mom was okay with it because he thought that she hated Alex. After the engagement was announced, however... (laughs) MK was not pleased. So Nicholas borrowed money from his brother and his cousin to buy her a house. Now, he used 400,000 rubles, which was 4,320 USD back then, which equates to $154,925.75 USD today. So that is how much money he gave her, bought her a house to be able to be like, we need to stop this affair. However, she did not like that and planned on taking revenge. After the wet, after the agreed engagement, after um, all that, they went to spend time with um, Alex's family in England. Now, they were on an island uh, just, like, chilling and hanging out. And while they were there, Alex started receiving anonymous letters detailing in deep detail the affair that Nicholas was having with MK or uh, the affair they had. Oh. Going into detail about the affair and their love and their relationship that they had. And it was written by MK. She was trying to piss Alex off because I don't think Alex – Alex didn't know about the affair before this. Yeah, I don't – oh, God. So Alex asked him directly – was like, what What the fuck is this? And Nicholas was like, all of this is true. And he's like, you know, this is what happened. Like, that's true. And Alex was like, okay, well, it's the past. Because technically they weren't together. They were talking and she loved him very, very, very much. But I don't think it's that surprising, honestly, given everything that that's what happened. And at the end of the day, he was marrying her. The affair has been ended. The moment that they were said to be engaged, the moment that she was his, he completely cut off mk she would end up being a a consort for two other people in the russian government at the same time 
And she also would have a little bit of sway because of Nicholas. Uh, she ended up being like huge in the ballet. And she also ended up being fucking rich. <laughs> and apparently it was asked of her how it felt having two Russian politicians at her feet. And she said, why not? I have two feet. <laughs> Honestly, good for her. Well, like She basically went, how does it feel having two men? And she went, well, I have two hands. <laughs> god i mean no literally <laughs> i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna try to do your thing do your thing girly yes but nicholas was very appreciative of the fact that alex was willing to forgive the affair that he had and move on he said he was very appreciative of the fact that she was willing to let the past be the past since it wasn't something anymore and to be fair nicholas seemingly did not have any affairs ever he didn't really cheat on his wife they were very faithful it's very similar to how the they didn't flirt the same way that Alexander and Maria did with other people, but they had a very loving and faithful relationship. So at least there's that. Just unfortunately, Russia didn't get to see it. Um, at 24 years old, Nicholas, which is how we was at this point in time, Nicholas was described as half boy, half man, thin and thoughtless. His mother infantilized him. He had a narrow outlook on life. He rarely left the house and spent most of his life playing like a child, and he was homeschooled, so it made him very naive to the world. Eventually, uh, later that year, it was determined that Alexander was suffering from inflammation of the kidney, and it was terminal. It would kill him. September 21st, Nicholas returned to see his father, and on October 5th, the doctor said that Alexander would have two weeks left to live. Alexander said, okay, bring me Nicholas and Alex, and he put on his best outfit he dressed in his uniform all of his medals to be able to receive alex properly into the family he wasn't physically able to stand however to fully welcome her Aww. but he was trying his best so that's september 21st so he would die october 19th so he would die about a month later or no i lied october 5th it was said that he would have two weeks left to live and he died about two weeks later or actually almost on the day Holy shit. That's... I think to the scary. day he died two weeks later. So, they get married. Yay. We know the details of the marriage. They had, like, a sad marriage, whatever. So, mm -hmm. they get married. November 2nd of the next year is when Olga's born. 1896. So, the year after Olga's born, on May 14th, is Coronation Day. Huzzah! Yay! Everyone, it's Coronation Day! Like, frozen. Yeah. <laughs> God. However... May 17th would be the Kyodinka tragedy. It's a crowd crush is what happens. Oh, God. I hate those. those... So on May oh, 27th. No, I wrote that wrong. May 17th. Right? I just looked this up. Can't be wrong immediately. Oh, that's why. Okay, so this says the 18th. So this is an issue that I keep having is there is the the there's two different calendars that are used. They converted over to a different calendar, I think, after the Romanovs passed away. So a lot of the dates are written one calendar to the other. So it's said that this happened on the 30th, but it happened on the 18th by their calendar that they were using at the time. So this incident happened on the 30th, but according to the old calendar, it happened on the 18th. So that is why my dates are mixed up. So the 18th. A festival was held to celebrate the coronation of Nicholas. Now, the venue itself was actually an old military training ground. So it still had a little bit of trenches, a little bit of you know rough terrain, right? They had set up vendors to be able to hand out packages that had mugs and gingerbread and like treats and whatnot, right? Now, you have to remember that this is kind of in the beginning of where the 
peasantry's not really having a good time. So the idea that they're getting free food from the government and they're getting treats and whatnot, everyone's going to rush in, you know? So there was a rumor that they didn't have enough food for everyone to eat. So they had enough for about four, I think it was 400,000 people, but about 700,000 people ended up showing up. So they had lined up to gain, to get this food, but there was a little bit of panic that started and they ended up rushing the vendor tents. People ended up tripping into the tent, the, the trenches that were built, and then people just kept piling on top of them. They ended up crushing people. At the end of the day, 1,389 people would die and nearly 1,300 people would be dead or uh, injured. Sorry. While that happened, Nicholas was at a ballet watching MK perform while he was sitting next to his wife, (laughs) by the way. So thousands of people are getting hurt and potentially dying. He didn't know it was happening. That's fair. He had even. So here's the thing. He okay, so Sergey was the one who had Sergey was the motherfucker that was in charge of orchestrating this whole festival, right? Nicholas had asked him if he was prepared for the, that amount of people. He even asked if the venue could hold that many people, and Sergey was like, "I got it. Don't even worry about it." He had actually taken over responsibility of this coronation festival from another guy on the council because he wanted to prove that he could do it better, but he wasn't prepared to handle it. So he took over. And then the crowd crush happened. And then he turned around and said, well, that guy was supposed to be the one to do it, not me. He was the one who was supposed to take over responsibility. It's his fault. What? No. News no. of the oh. news of the tragedy was actually suppressed. They didn't talk about it in the papers because Sergey didn't want to take responsibility for it. Nicholas wanted to. So that night they were supposed to have a uh, they, they were supposed to attend a ball for the French ambassador. Nicholas didn't want to attend to respect the grieving citizens sergey pushed nicholas and alex to go because they thought it would be too soft-hearted of them or bleeding heart of them to not go out of respect for the dead now after the ballet they actually went to the grounds where the bodies were being taken up and they said that when they got there the faces were purple and their limbs were all swollen and they had blood coming out of their nostrils and their eyes from how much they had been stepped on to the point that they literally like their blood burst out of their body they were still hauling bodies away when the news finally got to nicholas and him and his wife and i think olga went with them went to the area where this tragedy happened that day they were still taking bodies out it said that one of the people in their family i think it was one of the sisters oh zenia she was actually on a train or on a she was on her way somewhere and she had actually seen in the distance uh, people and she thought that they were waving at them as they were heading either to this area or away from this area. And then she actually realized that what she was looking at was the cart of bodies and their bodies were so badly mangled that she didn't even know what she was looking at. Oh, my God. I Oh, God. So Sergey pushed for him to not go into mourning that night. And that ended up making the people really mad at Nicholas. They didn't know that Sergey was the one that was behind this. They were mad at Nicholas because it made it look like he just didn't care about the people. Now, they compromised and said that they would only go for 30 minutes. But once they got to the ball, Nicholas and Alex were pressured by Alex's uncles. Uh, Sarah, I think Sergey's uncle. They were pressured to not leave, basically. They also, at some point in the midst of all this, equated either Nicholas or one of the uncles to Maria Antoinette and her husband, which is ironic. Oh, dear. 
So I... the uncles left upset, and Alex and Nicholas ended up staying at the ball until 2 a.m. <sighs> mm-hmm. But Alex and Nicholas did not want to be there, and everyone could tell. But that never got back to the people, and the people were just mad. They considered it very cold, that they literally just got coronated. People died because of them, and they didn't care. I mean, I would think it's cold, too. Like, the fuck? But I I know. So after the coronation, him and Alexander went on a tour of Europe. Nicholas wrote to his mother complaining that he was being forced to go shooting in bad weather with his uncles. And he was also complaining of a toothache. Again, he's scared of the dentist. He was just basically whining. He didn't want to do all this outdoorsy stuff. He didn't care. Well, not that he didn't want to have to do, do the outdoorsy stuff. I just don't think he wanted to do any of this. So the next thing that he really threw his heart into after he took over was uh, foreign policy, which is something that his father really pushed into. Now, the problem was that at this time, most of Europe was taken over by Germany. And Russia and Germany kind of were, like, always going at it. So since there wasn't really much to do in Europe, Nicholas decided to start pushing east into Asia. You see where this is going. At this point, this China had... Well. It's not going well. China had just lost its first war to Japan. So he decided to attempt to seize some of the Chinese ports. He ended up kind of succeeding, but Japan at this point was really just trying to push hard into China. And I think they were actually pushing into Korea at this time, too. In October of 1900, Nicholas would end up coming down with typhoid. Now, this was a really big deal because Alex and Misha started going at it because Misha was the next heir to take over since Alex hadn't had a son yet. Now, the problem was is at this point, Alex was pregnant. She was pregnant with Maria, but she didn't know it yet. She just knew she was pregnant. They can't gender test the baby. She was convinced that she was having a boy. She was convinced she was having a boy. So she insisted that if Nicholas were to pass away, that's how sick he was. If Nicholas were to pass away, she would take over as regent in his place until her child was born. And if it was a son, which she was convinced it was, she would take over until her son was able to take over the throne. Problem was she wasn't pregnant with a, with a, with a boy. But this was her first political move in court. Nicholas wasn't there to stop her. And Misha was really trying to push the government to allow him to take over if Nicholas were to die. And Alex basically said, no, fuck you. It's not happening. And who's going to argue with her? So from this point, Nicholas kind of oh wait no actually i think i think she's pregnant with anastasia my b i think she's pregnant with anastasia let me double check that yes maria was born in 1899 sorry about that my bad she's pregnant with anastasia at this point sorry (laughs) nothing eventful happened with maria's birth everything was fine she's pregnant with anastasia at this point sorry yeah this was her first political move now after this point she would start to have more of a push to be in the political side of things she should not have been by the way but she was (laughs) i love it whenever that happens it's my favorite nicholas ends up recovering just fine by the way good i mean clearly but yeah so after anastasia is born nicholas leaves the palace he's distraught however this is their fourth daughter in a row they didn't know what to do so they became obsessed in faith healing and they really really hardly threw themselves into religion for help they were seeking out prophet after prophet to be able to have a son Because at this point, it's their fourth kid. They've been together for years. What, like like eight years at this point? They still haven't had a son. So they ended up meeting this guy named Felipe. Uh, He's French, I think. I don't quote me on that. They became obsessed with this guy. They would stay up all night and listen to him talk non-fucking-stop, right? 
And he was like, your next child's going to be a son. He's going to be a son. Everything's going to be perfect. He's going to be a son. However, this mm. guy had actually been persecuted for practicing medicine without a license. This dude had been kicked out of his country for it. Me. It's just some dude. So, so after some Nicholas dude is just like being like, yes. Yeah. Son. But he was, he was, he was able to convince Alex enough that they trusted him with it. Now, after Nicholas found out that this guy was just like a fucking sham, he actually had uh, him or someone in his family actually had investigated the guy and found out about this. And then he tried to hide it from the family. He ended up getting kicked out. He was like sent away. Now, the problem was, is during this time, trigger warning, by the way, for anyone listening to this, this does not get good. So if you have pregnancy, anxieties, whatever, just skip this part. Oh, no. You know what's coming now that I've warned you. So at this time, so Alex was pregnant with, you know, while she's like listening to Felipe and he's been with her this entire pregnancy. He's like, it's a son. It's a son. Everything's fine. The problem is, is that Felipe was very, very insistent on Alex not getting examined by doctors at this in, in, in any point during this pregnancy. After Felipe was kicked out, after the summer had ended, she was finally able to be examined at the end of the summer of 1903. When she was examined, it was found out that she was not pregnant at all. She had never been pregnant. Oh, no. She had a, um, a, a hysterical pregnancy, I think is what's called, where um, an unfertilized egg develops in a way that it makes the body think it's pregnant. And she looked pregnant. She had all the symptoms of being pregnant. But Felipe was so willing, she was so able to convince her that she was pregnant that her body believed her. And believed she was pregnant. Yeah, something similar happened to, um, God, Bloody Mary, um, McQueen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, something similar happened to her. And yeah. that's, like, it, that's, like, genuinely, like, a real fear for me. Now, the problem is, is that she didn't find out about this until she was supposed to have the baby. Oh, no. They were preparing to have the baby. And this is when she was finally examined by doctors and discovered that she was never pregnant at all. She wasn't hitting the right trademarks for a pregnancy, but since the doctors were never allowed to examine her, they never knew. However, when he was sent away, he warned her that some he would come back, basically. He said, sometime you will have another friend who, like me, will speak to you of God. I don't like this. I don't you like shouldn't. where this is going. You shouldn't. So we're going to jump over to Nicholas for a little bit. So 1902 to 1903... He starts to make some really bad choices in Asia, which England was also doing this. They were trying to push to, like, conquer parts of Asia, but Nicholas was being really stupid about it. He ended up getting in a really, really bad situation, and he didn't really trust any people that were advising him. He kind of did this consistently where people would advise him to his face, but then he wouldn't actually listen to him. He would listen to his friends. And this is a common thing that happened with emperors, but eh. However, Nicholas broke a treaty to leave Manchuria. So I think the treaty was that he would leave Manchuria and he decided not to. And he thought he could get away with it because in his mind, the Chinese people, I do not agree with this viewpoint, by the way, but he thought he could get away with it because his friends had convinced him that the Japanese were just barbarians and their military was not that good. So he could get away with breaking a treaty because they weren't strong enough to fight him unfortunately that's just not the case at all but he was convinced by his friends who looked on the chinese people as disgusting even his daughters believed that like and you know this is just to speak on you know how royals are raised but some of the daughters even remarked that they didn't even know japanese people were humans they thought they were like 
like monkeys. They thought they were animals. They didn't even know that they like spoke and wore clothes. Like they thought they were animals. So Nicholas had this idea. Also, Nicholas was very anti-Semitic. Um, we'll get there. Oh dear. So who's surprised? He thought that he could get away with it, but he couldn't. And so the Japanese kind of started taking revenge a little bit. Another issue that Nicholas kind of had, and this is what's going on uh, at the same time, is so Alex has realized that she's just like not pregnant, right? And so they've really thrown themselves into faith healing. This is both happening at the same time. Nicholas believed that God chose him to be czar. And he believed that the people would just kind of accept that. So when he decided to make these really bad decisions to Japan, he just kind of thought that people would just be pissed and they'd move on. They'd accept the fact that God put him here and they would just live with it. Now, the problem is, is that's just not the case. Because of his viewpoint on this, though, he was very, very stubborn and he would also push his powers past what his constitutional powers were. So he would overstep his boundaries of power a lot. And it really pissed off people, including the church, which was like his biggest supporter in Russia, you know. So the church didn't never trust piss him. off the church and never piss off the church. So the church didn't trust him at all. And the people at this time were also pushing a lot of petitions to have him give them better working conditions, better, you know, representation, stuff like that. And he kept rejecting them, basically saying, I'm the czar shut the fuck up. I'm going to keep doing things the way that God intended them to be done, which is how my whole family's done it. So the people were just like not pleased with him at all. And then another thing that pissed people off at the time was um, part of this faith healing thing that Nicholas and Alex was on was they believed that there was this saint that um, there was this guy that they believed if they made him a saint, he would help them have a son. So he was pushing the church to announce this guy as a saint. The problem was is that this man wasn't qualified to be a saint. So I learned I learned this yesterday. <laughs> I literally was yesterday years old when I found out about this. But apparently saints are supposed to not decompose when they die. And that's how it's agreed that they've reached sainthood. Now, the problem is, is when this guy died, his body decomposed like really fucking fast. So did Alexander's body, by the way. Alexander's body decomposed super, super fast and it smelled super, super fast. Just like, by the way, it literally like the moment he died, it started rotting. I mean, kidney failure. So what are you gonna do? So the people were like, what the fuck are you doing? You can't just decide to make this guy a saint because you want to have a son. And at the meantime, while they're doing this, they're visiting all these different people. They're going to all these different places. They're meeting with all these different whatever to try and like bless them to have a son so they're like we're they're basically told if you make this guy a saint he'll help you and the church eventually agreed to it because the czar kept pushing for them to do it but they didn't want to announce this guy a saint now ironically enough he's a really popular saint i didn't look into why but the people were not happy about this he literally just overstepped the church no one wanted this guy to be canonized but what Nicholas wants, Nicholas gets. But this wasn't in his jurisdiction to do. He didn't have the ability to change the religion like that. I mean, I'm not surprised. I just... This dude's spoiled, and I, I reiterate my I hate man stance. So Nicholas has a little bit of power in China at this point, right? He's kind of taken over a little bit. Now, there's this place called Port Arthur. And Nicholas didn't believe that the Japanese 
our military was able to rebel against him for breaking this Manchurian treaty. Unfortunately, they were. They they did. So the Japanese attacked uh, Port Arthur, which was currently occupied by Russia. It's in China. And the guy that was in charge of the port, like, was just in denial, in full denial that they had just, like, lost this port to Japan. Um, now, the news finally got back to Nicholas, and it was kind of in a bad situation because the port was important enough that they couldn't abandon it, but it wasn't important enough that they could defend it. So it was kind of in a weird place where they couldn't abandon it because it, it I mean, basically giving Japan a win. But they couldn't leave it because it had important shit, you know? Um, so it put Nicholas in a really, really, like, shitty situation. Um, in this time, Alexi's born, finally. However, the moment that he's born and they cut the umbilical cord, they notice that he won't stop bleeding. And he bleeds from his belly button for three, two days. And the doctors immediately know he has hemophilia. Nicholas did not. It wasn't until one of his sisters called him and told him about that terrible illness from the English that he realized that his son might have hemophilia. This was never a conversation that came up. So it's said that on the phone call that they had, he literally just kept saying the word hemophilia over and over again in shock. Now, Alexi was not really expected to live very long they were hoping that he would live farther than the 13 years that most people with hemophilia live but it was not looking good so in the midst of all of this nicholas is still fighting with japan right and they're not doing great actually at this point in time nicholas had tried to send out a boat and um it was like a it was just like a boat like a military boat they saw a boat on another boat on the horizon and they immediately assumed it was a japanese ship and they shot it down unfortunately it was a shipping vessel owned by england did not make situations any fucking easier nicholas apparently wrote he wrote to someone in his family who was taking over for england and was like that sucks that that happened but he didn't apologize for it he just said that sucks sorrow prayers and sorrows basically is what nicholas said now the problem was is now england doesn't trust him in the water and he's fighting with japan and the people are mad that they're at war And they also still don't have the working conditions that they want. And they're not being listened to by the government. He's not listening. Nicholas isn't listening to them. This is where we come up on another tragedy. So January 8th, the family secretly moves to Sarskoye Selo, which is a different area. This is where they would end up living forever. Uh, Not forever, but this is where they would end up staying. So Maria stays, uh, they stay in the main palace for a little bit together and then they end up moving to Sarskoye Selo. So... The people the day before were like kind of getting a little a little pissed off, a little a little antsy. And this guy named Gapon, he was a secret police. He was a police agent uh, for the rebellion that was coming up that would turn into the USSR. So it's called we're just gonna call it SR. So the SR, they're starting to build a group, right? And they're starting to, you know do some petitions and kind of, you know, be present. This is 1905, by the way. So January 8th, the family secretly moves to Sarskoyoselo because the people were really, really pushing for a reform and Nicholas was not having it. The next day, Gapon leads a protest of thousands of people up to the palace. And at multiple different points, they're told to turn back and they don't. 
and the guard, even though the Tsar's family is not in the palace anymore, open fire on the protesters. Thousands of people are injured. Oh, my God. And uh, over a thousand people are killed. And this would be known as Bloody Sunday. Jesus To Russia. I know. So... There's that. <laughs> so that happens January 8th. Now, Jan- or January 9th. February 2nd, Sergei is assassinated. They were originally going to bomb his uh, carriage as he was arriving to the theater, but the assassins saw that his wife and kids were in the carriage with him. Now, Sergei is married to Ella. Ella is Alex's older sister. Oh, so they were like, oh, wife and kids in there. We can't kill them, too. Mm-hmm. So... They waited until his family was out of the carriage. It said, as I'm, I'm quoting this from the book Romanov, as the carriage rolled into the Kremlin, an assassin tossed his bomb from four feet away. Nothing was left except the back wheels of the carriage. Fingers, one leg, and a foot were sprinkled onto the square and roofs of the surrounding buildings. A naked, one-armed, one-legged half-torso lay in the smoking debris. The coachman was alive but dying. Ellen ran outside. Throwing herself to her knees in the bloody, charred snow, she started to collect the fragments of mangled flesh and place them on an ordinary army stretcher, rummaging in the snow for pieces of Sergei because, as she explained, he loved order. Oh my god. So she heard the bomb go off, ran outside, and in shock, probably, started collecting pieces of her husband and trying to put him back together. I don't think she had processed that he had just died. I mean, would you? Could you? His head uh, and arm, and I think an, I think one of his legs, were immediately evaporated. That's how close the bomb was. Jesus Christ. So parts of his body remained, but uh, he was killed instantly. I mean, the entire bomb, the, the bomb blew up everything except the back wheels of the carriage. The rest of the carriage was completely disintegrated. Afterwards, Ella would become a nun. Um, Honestly, yeah, no, same. Also, after this, Nicholas was warned that he was being hunted. A lot of assassinations would continue to go on for the next five or so years. Um, And so the family would stay kind of locked up in their house. They wouldn't leave very much because it was kind of normal for people to be assassinated, but it was starting to get really, really close to Nicholas. And he'd already lived through one assassination attempt in Japan. So he had a couple brushes with death. However... A little bit after this, Nicholas actually had a way out of this war with Japan, which was really, really, really turning people against him. People were not happy about this, and they were they were more pissed with how many people were dying in this war with Japan. But the USA decided to come in and be like, hey, we'll mediate between you two. And Nicholas was like, cool. And he was out. He was fully out of the war with Japan. Yay. Love that for him. So a little bit after this, the workers were still pissed off workers were striking students were completely rioting and tenants were actually physically attacking their landlords mood just 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 if anyone's taking notes this this Psst. <laughs> this is the part where you really need to start writing shit down after the assassination of sergey nicholas allowed basically his military and his whatever to comb through russia and just start slaughtering anyone who was considered to be a rebel specifically if they were Polish or Jewish, he was heavily. That sounds really familiar. Mm-hmm. He was heavily anti-Semitic, heavily anti-Semitic, um, and 
uh, they would literally like sit here and crack jokes about how Jewish people were just like nothing. Um, it's also said that the reason why he didn't like Jewish people is because they were the ones who sacrificed Jesus. But I thought that was the Romans. So I don't know. I don't know about religion. But anyway. No, it was the Jewish Roman population. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, they they were very, very anti-Semitic um, and also anti-Polish, I guess. So they would they were slaughtering thousands of people from every corner of the Russian Empire. Now, after this, Nicholas was pushed to agree to a constitution by a guy named Vita, which I don't know who this man is, but he's a pain in the ass. Every time he comes up, something bad happens. So he's the one who wants to make this constitution to basically give the people kind of what they want. Now, around this time, Minnie brings in this guy named Nikolasha, and he's like a Russian man. Now, this man is like grotesquely obsessed with medieval ways. He literally cut a dog in half, one of his dogs in half, just to show how strong he was and how sharp his sword was. He was fucking batshit. No, he's batshit crazy. Now, this man is brought in because he's like a pure Romanov by his by many standards. This man is like the grit of, of Romanov. Right. So Nicholas wants him to take over as dictator of Russia. That's what they wanted to do. I don't think Nicholas wanted to be czar. They wanted him to take over as dictator because he was, you know, still in the Romanov family, but, you know, however, when he was told that he wanted to have, when, when Nikolasha was told that Nikki wanted him to take over, he literally ran out of the room, grabbed a gun, put it to his head and said, if you make me, I'll shoot myself. If you try to make me czar or try to make me dictator of Russia, I will shoot myself in the head right in front of you. What the fuck is wrong with people, man? And Alex was upset about this because it, she basically was like, this guy just guilted us into signing this constitution to be able to allow the Russian people to have I don't know, working conditions better, which is weird. So she said that if this whole constitution thing failed, it was his fault. However, when Nikolasha was brought in, he also introduced Alex and Nicholas to a friend of his who was a peasant who had just fascinated Nikolasha. And his name was Gregory Rasputin. God damn it. Gregory is a shit show of a man that I don't want to go into. However, Alex had a best friend named Anna. And she was not really happy with her marriage now nicholas ended up allowing her to i think divorce from her husband and she didn't remarry but she did end up becoming a very devout follower of rasputin and she kind of became the link between the romanov family and rasputin because she was best friends with alex so he kind of always had an end to the family he was he wasn't part of a religion that believed this but this is something that he kind like so there was a legend going around at the time that basically believed that you could be closer to God by, like, doing drugs, drinking, and having, like, a shit ton of sex, right? Now, he wasn't – he said he wasn't part of this religion, but he did kind of do that. He talked about sex a lot. It was a little weird. However – He was also kind of like, he was like a faith healer Christian man. And they were fascinated by him because he's a peasant. 
You know, he's just like a common person. But he had this charm that was like irresistible to the family. And despite the fact that they were very, very, very anxious of strangers, they completely welcomed him with no questions asked. Now, there were other two people that the Alex had been kind of seeing called the Crows. I didn't look too much into these people. I just literally just learned about them today. But, and I'll probably get into this more when I talk about Rasputin if I do. But they were kind of the ones who were hanging out around Alex. Now, these people also wanted something from the family. One of them wanted uh, Nicholas to allow her to, like, divorce from her husband or whatever. So they all kind of wanted something from the family. So they stayed really, really close to the to the royal family. Now, no one was allowed to talk to Alex about anything to do with Faith without going through the crows first, including Rasputin. However... After Alexei was born, Nicholas and Alex received a telegram directly from Rasputin, basically saying, congratulations on having a son, I'm here. And the crows were pissed at him because he sent this telegram to the family without it going through them first. But it was the first true connection that they had to the family. Now, later on, it would go from Rasputin being just like a medical faith healer to actually having an influence in politics. Now, Alex wasn't supposed to have an influence in politics, but she would listen to Rasputin. He would really, really, really sink his teeth into the Romanov family. Now, I'm not going to get too much into it now, but I'll bring it up more with Alexei. But the big thing that I think really, really pushed Alex to trust him was the fact that for some reason... Maybe it was coincidence, maybe he did have some abilities, but he was able to kind of coincidentally say that Alexi would be fine the day before Alexi would start to get better from literally some of the closest brushes with death that this kid would have. There were multiple times where they actually thought he was going to die. There was a point in time where he was actually read his last rites because they thought he was about to die and he ended up living because Rasputin sent a telegram saying he's going to be fine. I think he literally said that the child will not die. Jeez. So there's that. Now, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention this. I'm not going to go into a death about it because I'm going to do it later. But this is just some other stuff that's kind of important to note. So later on with the daughters, it got to the point where Alex was so sick that consistently she would miss out on milestones. She wouldn't be able to attend balls with her daughters. Now, her daughters were not able to go out into society because Alex would not allow them that. By the time that the oldest two daughters were actually attending, like they were finally debuting amongst like the people, they didn't know anyone there because Alex wouldn't let them leave the house. They literally didn't know anyone. The only people that would dance with them was their own military guard because they had grown up with the girls. Now, Alex was so sick. She was so faint of heart. She was so stressed. Her hair started turning white. And she died when she was like in her 40s. She, her literally, her hair was turning white. She was aged from stress. She was going crazy by the time that all of this kind of combines in the, the, revol- the Russian Revolution. Nicholas wasn't much help. He was very impressionable. Even Alex was kind of tired of the way that Maria babied him to the point that he kind of just did whatever he was told to do. He didn't have a big backbone in court and it made him a really, really terrible czar. Now, I'm sure he had great ideas and had he gone into the military and not taken over Russia, he would have been great. Like I said, he loved the routine. He loved the structure and he actually enjoyed more working 
than being a czar. I don't think he had much interest for political intrigue at all. Um, however, Alex did. And she was heavily swayed by Rasputin. And so was Nicholas. And he actually, I think, wanted Rasputin to be the prime minister, I think. But it ended up not happening. Thank fuck. Now, also, after after Sergei was killed, um, August 12th, Stolpin, the prime minister. So after this constitution was signed, they elected a prime minister basically to like help with the people. So they had like two 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 levels of government, right? Now Nicholas saw himself as like God. He saw the administration as the nobility and he saw like this lower government as like the peasantry. Like he thought he was above his own government. I mean, whatever. But August 12th, three suicide bombers walked into the room that Stolpin was in and blew themselves up. They killed 27 people and severely wounded 70. Stolpin carried his wounded daughter out of the ruins, followed by his three-year-old son. This is the prime minister of Russia. This man's metal. He's also bleeding because he was also, like, hit in the explosion. You know, at this point, the SR is starting to get really ballsy with their, their assassination attempts. It wouldn't get much better. Now, inflation would end up becoming so bad and this is kind of why the family was executed inflation would become so bad there was factory workers on strike food shortages literally hundreds of people line up for a bakery that had like five loaves of bread like there was nothing these people had nothing many farmers have been called to join the military but there weren't enough people to work the fields and they still weren't making enough food. Inflations caused the poor to be priced out of the market. Sound familiar? The poor literally couldn't afford food. That's how bad inflation was. They literally couldn't afford anything on the market. They were starving. And there were comics drawn of Alex and Nicholas bathing in the blood of the poor. Holy shit. Because that's how different their lives were. Alex and Nicholas were still having these extravagant things. After he abdicated, after he stepped down from the throne, when they were moved in the middle of being kidnapped to this random remote town in Siberia, the prices of luxury goods, like even just like basic goods, was like quadrupled in price. Because the royal family was in town, they still had money. They could pay these prices for all this crazy shit. They were moved into a house that had no plumbing. And ahead of their arrival... In the middle of them being kidnapped, by the way, the house was fixed up by a team of painters and plumbers and, like, nice furniture was sought out for them and nice clothing was sought out for them to wear. They just got kidnapped. They just stepped down from the throne. They had stupid amounts of money, ridiculous amounts of money, and the people were literally starving. Students were striking. People were attacking their landlords. Workers were striking. There there was not any money to go around. And people were so upset that they were protesting because they couldn't function anymore. The government was ridiculous. The rich were literally richer than ever. And the poor physically couldn't afford food to the point that they literally, they were literally priced out of the market. They didn't have the money to buy bread or milk or eggs. Jesus Sound Christ. familiar? Yeah, fairy. So, this... <laughs> it's not surprising. 
Now, here's the other thing that I want to point out is that, is it tragic what happened to Nicholas and his family? Yes. In the same breath, though, Alex literally told Nicholas that the people that were revolting, who were born when Nicholas came into power, mind you, were just young people complaining and they'd get over it. Jesus Christ. Now, at the same time that the revolution was really, really, really kicking up and the protests were getting worse, all of the children came down with measles and they were genuinely anticipating uh, Anastasia and Maria to die. When they were kidnapped, the kids were still sick with measles. Most of the kids were okay at this point, but Olga kept getting sick with ear infections on top of the measles. Alex, Alexi was uh, also sick with the measles. I think it, it might have been actually Anastasia and Alexi that they were planning on actually dying. I think they were both read their final rights. Like, they were on death's door. They waited for the kids to get better before they took them. But that's kind of the situation that's going on is everything was going to shit. And Alex also didn't really help their public image. Maria and Alexander were very public-facing. They loved the people, and the people loved them. This whole country was in mourning when they died, when, when Alexander died. It was genuinely the hardest thing for the people to take. So they went from that to a woman who's a foreigner. She's not letting the kids out. The public only saw photos of the daughters. They almost never saw the, the czar and his family. To the point that a lot of people actually didn't even see the czar for the first time until he had already stepped down. People would literally drive and, and go hours out to where the family was being held to gawk at them while they did daily tasks like gardening. But they had never seen them before because Alex wouldn't let them out of the house. So their public image sucked ass. And since Alex was considered to be kind of a prude, they thought that maybe it was because the people weren't worthy of seeing the family. So she made their public image so terrible, and Nicholas made such bad government decisions that they basically took over, shut themselves up, and then destroyed the country and refused to acknowledge that people were suffering. And then when they were finally, you know, kidnapped and forced to abdicate, which is the only reason Nicholas abdicated is because they said it would be better for uh, Alexei. That's the only reason he did it. He didn't care about the people, but it was considered that it would be better for Alexei if he stepped down. That's the um, only reason why he did it. But by the time that that happened, like, shit was bad. Shit was really, really, really bad. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's really, it's, it's not surprising that this is what happened. But, like, people were, like, protesting hard. People were shedding shit on fire. He actually, before they were abducted, most of the military had turned against them at this point. Even their own private guard had turned against them. The the, the people who ran the Standard, which is their private yacht, they had also turned against them. And the children loved the the staff on the Standard, but they were turned away. Nicholas actually requested to be able to go to England. And then the people were like, we don't want Nicholas here. We don't want the family here. Are you kidding me? Look at how they're treating their people. So he denied them access to England. And then right after that, Nicholas and his family were kidnapped. And when I say kidnapped, they weren't like bags over their head thrown into a carriage. Their, one day, their, their military guard that guarded their house was dismissed and the SR police were put in their place. And from that moment on, they were under house arrest. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That simple. Because the entirety of the military, I turned against them. Everyone, I turned against them. Literally, I'm not even kidding you. 
like there were there were people who were pro the the emperor but the military itself like the actual like russian military had completely turned against nicholas they had a little bit of their their guard left and maybe a few garrisons but they didn't have much by the time that the family was executed most of the country was against them and when their bodies were discovered it actually took 10 years for them to be able to be um finally taken out and tested when they discovered the bodies because at the time when their bodies were first discovered the ussr was still in place the government that took over after nicholas and his family were killed that government was still in place when their bodies were discovered. But 10 years later, the USSR was dissolved and the new government took over, whatever whatever it is now. And then they were able to exhume the bodies and test them because they didn't want any of the Romanovs being pulled out during the USSR because they thought it would start a revolution against the USSR. That's the whole reason their bodies were disposed of in the first place, why they were executed, because they didn't want the family to become martyrs. Their bodies were actually purposefully hidden because they didn't want to be martyrs. And they weren't hidden very well, by the way. I just don't think people looked hard enough. But um, yeah, their bodies were hidden on purpose and then were found, but the USSR was still in place and they were still scared like decades later that the Romanovs were going to be used as martyrs so they didn't dig up their bodies they weren't even sure it was them they were pretty sure but they weren't 100 percent certain and then 10 years later when the government was finally dissolved and a new government was put into place then they thought it was safe enough and even then even then like over 60 years later i think some some crazy like that like decades later even then england was still like the governments of other countries were still so mad at russia that they wouldn't help them. Like royalty denied loaning their DNA to prove that that was the Romanov family. Jesus. It took years, literally years, for them to finally test it. And it was some random like out-of-pocket country that was like, yeah, we'll help you. And everyone was like, are you sure? To finally even begin testing they were able to prove it was Alex pretty quickly and the daughters pretty quickly, but it was harder to prove Nicholas. They had the direct ties to Alex because they had the children of Queen Victoria, but Nicholas was way harder to test. But thankfully, he had a genetic mutation that was able to get him tested pretty quickly. But mm-hmm. it was really hard to find DNA for him because no one wanted to to give DNA. I think actually the the English family denied the prince at the time, whoever was king of England at the time, denied loaning his dna to be able to prove it was the romanov family that's how pissed england was still was at russia and probably because he was scared someone was gonna clone him but i mean honestly same i'll get more into a detail later but it's bad and by the time that so backtracking a little bit by the time that alexandra was executed i don't think she was there mentally so rasputin was executed and that kind of literally is described as the shot that started the revolution is when Rasputin was killed. He was assassinated by someone in the Romanov family and it was really, really hard on the family. Alexander was distraught. And after he died, she would either cry or she would just sit there silently. She wouldn't talk to anyone. She couldn't walk. She was constantly wheelchaired around. She never responded to her daughter. She couldn't talk. And her daughters, their entire lives were constantly on edge because they were worried about their mother. They were consistently worried about how their actions would impact their mother's health. Every single move they took, every single time they went out in public, anything they did, they were constantly worried about their mother. They literally couldn't enjoy their life because their mom was so sick. Oh, jeez. I know. So 
I'm going to end that there. I'll go more in depth of it later. Next episode, I'm going to talk about Olga and Tatiana, talk about their debut. I'm going to go more in detail on that. And then at the very end, I'm going to talk about their execution, and I'm going to go into detail about everything. Unfortunately, I will be saving Anastasia for last because she had that whole issue with the imposter thing because uh, her and Alexi were actually buried separate from the rest of the family, so they didn't find their bodies until much later. And also, um, Anastasia had the worst death of them all. And that, I think, is the most heartbreaking thing because it wasn't, like, with the imposter and everything, everybody was, like, the most hopeful that she was the one to survive. And unfortunately, she had the most gruesome death, yeah. Yikes. I think the parents were killed instantly. But the daughters, mm -mm. and Anastasia was the last one to die. So... (laughs) Well, that's it for part one. I think I hope, it's safe to say that... I hope that you guys en- enjoyed it. I think it's safe to say that your segments for these episodes are going to be a lot longer. It's There's so much to go over. Oh well, my god, this family. I'm literally going over their entire life, though. So, like, who yeah. can really blame me? And I'm, I'm sure once you get to the daughters, it's probably going to shorten out because, unfortunately... <laughs> Their lives weren't as long. Yeah, unfortunately, there's not a lot to talk about with them because they didn't live very long. Yeah, and um, I'm I've started my episode three notes, and those seem to be like my not episode three, but part three notes, and those that seems to be going to be pretty long. Mm -hmm. And I know my episodes four and five notes are going to also be pretty long. So, but it kind of balances out because it's the shorter. It's probably going to be the shorter parts on your end. This series is also going to be very long, so we completely understand if you have to break this up into, like, multiple listening sessions. Oh, my God. Yeah, I please do not try to sit here and take all this in one go. You, I I couldn't do it. (laughs) And I just did it. So, please, God, take a break in the middle of this. I know we're going down to once a week or going up to once a week. That doesn't mean the episodes are going to get any fucking short. It just no. means we we literally sat down and was like, there's so much information that if we don't break this up into one episode a week, these episodes are going to be like 10 hours long. Yeah. And it's not because like we're not trying to ramble. And I literally went into less information than I could have. I really look, I've been researching this since November. If you really, really, really want an in-depth look on this family, read those two books. You don't even have to pay for them. I read them on Libby audiobooks man it's there these these books total are like what like 20 oh, over 30 hours long together so these books are massive books so if you want to sit down and listen to 40 hours of the romanovs you could it's on libby which is free by the way if anyone doesn't know this libby.com or you can get the app libby you get a library card and you can read anything you want for free you can read bl you can read. Whoa, 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 you can read anything you want as long as your library has it. Yeah. yeah Where yeah, we yeah. live has a pretty large library just because it encompasses such a large area. Yeah. There are some um, places that won't have as many, and yeah. it's a little but bit. But it's still free. So you can get a lot of things on there. And if you're in a situation like me where you really want to read a book, but you really don't want to support the author, you can get on Libby because <laughs> it's free. But yeah, thank you for listening to the drama. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It doesn't get any better from here. In fact, it gets much, much worse. So much worse. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm not. I was gonna I was gonna wait 
and do the Romanoms next month and do just like happy little fun stories at the end of this. And then I was like, you know, I've I've already put too much energy into this. I don't have the energy to change it. We're doing the Romanoms. So I am so sorry. Yay. Anyway, have a good night, good morning, good afternoon, whenever you're listening to this. Stay safe and keep learning. Bye-bye. Fuck Rasputin this time. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Gregory Rasputin, I'm coming for you. Oh, dear. <laughs> good night. Good night. Hello, everyone. This is Mythos from the future, question mark, due to a series of unfortunate situations, unfortunate events. Due to a series of unfortunate events, we will be delaying this next episode that is going to come out on the 8th of March. However, we release both episodes on the 15th just to give ourselves a week to process and be with our families during this time so until then have fun